Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. (laughs) A quick disclaimer before we start this episode, we encountered some slight audio difficulties during the first 37 minutes of this podcast, which was a result of, believe it or not, having the microphone positioned backwards. The opening section has been cleaned up to the best of our ability and will sound completely normal from around 37 minutes on as we figured out the correct direction to hold the microphone. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. But uh, we are up to 2000. And I, and I share a birthday with her. You do. So happy birthday. Sorry, I should have said happy birthday, Jamie. And as well, Jennifer Garner. Thank and, you. And Sean Bean. The best people are born on April 17th. Yeah, I mean, you, Jennifer Garner, and Sean Bean. Does it get any better than that? Well, he always dies in movies, though. Okay, well, he didn't die in real life. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Okay. Oh, it's true. Uh, but uh, we are up to 2014 now as we're going through some of her best movies. Um, and. Odd Life with Timothy Green, his court to Jamie, <laughs> doesn't fit in that category. But we are up to Draft Day, uh, which is, uh, I guess, more of a Kevin Costner movie. It's known as a Kevin Costner movie, but she's has the second leading role in this movie. And I think it's just a movie we both loved and both were excited to cover. This is a movie that actually deals with a subject that's never really been touched on in movies before, which is the draft, a sports draft, you know, that they do every single season. Uh, and what could be better than Kevin Costner doing a sports movie? Never done one of those before, uh, but this time he's got Jennifer Garner, so that makes it all the better. My name is Colin, and I can't take all the credit, but I will. And my name is Jamie, and we can always talk football. We, we can, according to you, yeah. Uh, here's, uh, I guess, a bit of our history, which I kind of touched on mine last week. Uh, I wanted to see this when it was originally in theaters. I thought it looked great. What, uh, year, what year did it come out again? The 2014 film, which I think has come out of my mouth two or three times now. Well, I have a really bad memory. You have a bad memory from 60 seconds ago, apparently. Every single time I've had a child, every single kid that comes out of me, my memories work some worse, and it was really bad before. So, yeah. yeah. You apparently popped out a kid between last week and this week, because I don't think it was this bad last week. No, it's always bad. Okay, but uh, 2014. So, um, this movie, I remember being excited when I saw that it was coming out, hearing that there was a movie about... A draft. I mean, I'm not as big of a football person as I am hockey, obviously, but uh, it was an interesting subject for a movie, and it was directed by Ivan Reitman, who you're going to be familiar with Ivan Reitman. As a Canadian, you should be familiar with Ivan Reitman. Uh, he's the guy who did... You're looking at me like, what? Like, oh, I'm in trouble here. I've Let never it... heard the name, but I have no idea who he is. Like, if you told me, like, he sold hot dogs on the corner, <laughs> I mean, I'd be like, okay, sure, Ivan, the hot dog guy. <laughs> Aside from being Ivan the hot dog guy that sells hot dogs on the corner... 
uh, which, by the way, hot dogs are the most revolting food in Dungeon They're Man. amazing. They're not. Um, Ivan Reitman is the director of, let's say, Ghostbusters, Dave, uh, Meatballs. Was that, like, the original Ghostbusters? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, Stripes. That's uh, that he's gone now. Didn't he die recently? Yeah, he died, like, last year or something like that. Yeah. Um, six, oh, so, so he did this movie too? Yeah, this was the final movie he directed. Oh. He directed this 2014. He, he's done nothing but produce since 2014. Well, so te- this, technically he helped his son on that new Ghostbusters. Well, again, he's, he's done some producing yeah. since then. But, uh, but I mean, his son obviously had already directed Jennifer Garner uh, in Juno a couple of years prior to this. So I don't know if you know, that's how uh, she got connected with this movie. But this being the final movie of Ivan Reitman's career, Ivan Reitman being one of the most famous Canadians uh, to ever direct a movie um particularly because he's one of these canadians that uh you know really got his start in canadian movies and made canadian movies big i mean i was excited for that uh but i never got a chance to see it when it was originally in theaters uh, i did see that it went on sale the day that it was um on sale the day the blu-ray came out i remember seeing it on the shelf being like, oh, i really want to see this movie now i typically i i think i can count one other time that i've ever bought a movie brand new full price that I had never seen before. The only other time I ever did it was the Martin Scorsese movie, The Departed. And my reasoning for buying The Departed the first day it came out uh, was, well, A, I had heard it was an amazing movie, and B, I had seen the movie Infernal Affairs, the the, the Chinese movie that uh, Departed is based on. So I was a huge Infernal Affairs fan and pretty much figured, well, if the reviews are good, then I can trust it. Draft Day, I knew nothing about it. I, I don't even think it necessarily got great reviews. It got decent reviews. Didn't do that well at the box office, but I was like, I know this movie's going to be great. So I bought it full price, day it came out. It's actually one of my favorite movies. Well, I, well, I, I would watch it anytime. Well, well, and you did watch it anytime. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that in this, <laughs> approximately 10 seconds. But uh, I I had watched that movie that afternoon, and I loved this movie enough on the first viewing that I told you that evening. It's like, listen, this new movie drafted, it just came out, Kevin Costner, Jennifer Garner, Dennis Leary. I mean, so many other people, Tom Welling. We were married at that time. I don't even remember you buying this and all that happening. Well, because I, I, I wasn't working with you that day. I was working on my own and had some time to kill. Oh, okay. I don't even remember. Yeah. I, I, I was working a job where I tended to often get off quite early on some days and on other days tended to work until 8 o'clock at night. Uh, but this was the day I got up early. I'm like, I'm going to buy draft day. I'm going to watch it. So I watched it. You came home. I said, you got to watch this movie. Like, let's watch this tonight. And I showed it to you. And you loved it, too. I mean, do you remember watching Draft Day for the first time? Do you remember what your impression was when you saw this movie? You know, honestly, like, there's very few things that I actually remember. Like, I remember my kids' births, but I, I barely remember our wedding day. So, no, I don't remember watching it for the first time. <laughs> yeah, you, the, the funny thing is we rehearsed this before coming in. Right? When I talked to you about watching the movie for the first time. No, 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 no. I know that. No, I'm saying, though, that I don't... <laughs> I don't specifically remember uh, the memory in my head of watching it the first time, but it did pique my interest, though, with football specifically and uh, actually wanting to check out other stuff related to football, watching actual football, but then also there was The Replacement, which I have never seen before, the Keanu Reeves movie. I mean, Keanu Reeves is in it, so that's a plus. But then there was also that Friday night's uh, Friday Night Lights show that you really liked, and that, that was a great show too. Yeah. So basically, as soon as we watched Draft Day, you started asking me, "Are there any other good football movies?" And I, and I didn't even know the rules of football or anything like that. Like I knew nothing about football at all. Yeah. And now, if you ask me, I'd probably be a bigger football fan than I would be hockey. Which, you know, being Canadian, that's probably sacrilegious. <laughs> well, we do have Canadian football here, which is quite big. 
Um, but, uh, but yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, hockey should be number one. But, uh, yeah, you immediately asked me, it's like, are there any other good football movies? And I think uh, uh, the first thing I showed you was Jerry Maguire, which I said, you know, oh, this yeah. feels a little... Because I thought, similar to drafting, it's more about the business side of the sport. It's yeah. not necessarily the sport. And then you're like, oh, I want to see more. So, yeah, The Replacements with Keanu Reeves, which uh, you recently asked me, what is your favorite football movie of all time? And I said The Replacements with Keanu Reeves. Uh, but then I showed you the movie for Friday Night Lights. I showed you the TV show for Friday Night Lights. Um, I'm trying to think of any others that I showed you. Uh, Remember the Titans... Uh, which, you, which you probably did, but I'm blanking. I don't remember. How does anybody not remember the Titans is considered maybe the greatest football movie ever? I'll have to that, watch up again. there with Friday Night Lights. I think you own that one too, right? Uh, we have a copy. Yes, we oh, do. Wait, isn't that one on Disney? It is. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, but uh, but anyways, you got really interested in it, and then throughout watching all these movies, you were asking about the rules of football. Yeah. And then you started asking to watch football all the time, so I have to explain the rules to you. But yeah, you got really into it. Now, sadly. You didn't get into the Cleveland Browns, which is the team depicted in this movie. What's your team? Uh, well, I mean, I have to say, of course, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Well, of NFL, though. Uh, I really like Green Bay. Yeah. And why do you like Green Bay? Not just because the quarterback is a good-looking guy. <laughs> I don't know. They just seem like such a good team. Yeah, well, Green Bay Packers are fun. I know that my mom always told me that was my grandpa's favorite team. I mean, I, I like football. I'll typically watch a bit of the Super Bowl. I'll, I'll watch the Grey Cup, you know, the Canadian Football League. Um, but outside of that, you know, if I have a chance, I might watch football. But you probably became a bigger football fan than I did. And it's all thanks to draft day. And now the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have officially won a Grey Cup. Thank you. Well, we won many, but we, we, we not had... A, not in a long time. Yeah, we had one since like the early 90s. Not and since I, I became a fan. Not, I, I think I was their good luck charm. Hello. You, you, it only took you about six or seven years uh, for your good luck to kick in, apparently. But, but yeah, so this movie, just uh, going into a little bit of history that you probably aren't even aware of with Draft Day, uh, the script actually came about because the screenwriters who wrote this uh, were football fans and never thought about watching a football movie, but they met somebody who didn't watch football, who didn't like football, but made it a point to watch the draft every single year. And it's funny because the way they told the story is like they, they, they basically told this girl, it's like, I don't understand, like, like, I like football and I don't even like watching the draft. Like, why do you like watching the draft? And this girl kind of described it as all about being about the ticking clock, you know, because the way the draft works, you know, you, every team is allowed a pick of the, the players who are now eligible. And, you know, you, you, you have to pick, and depending on who you pick, the other team may have, uh, the next team up may have decided to pick that as well. Or there could be surprises and everything. And it was all that excitement. And they're like, well, maybe there's a good movie for this. So they kind of wrote a script about the draft, uh, which got a lot of buzz in Hollywood. And then eventually, you know, Ivan Reitman came on board and said, I want to make this movie. Uh, believe it or not, Ivan Reitman coming on board was a bit of an obstacle for them because people started to get excited about the idea that there was this movie about the NFL draft. And then when Ivan Reitman's name was attached, not that anybody doesn't love Ivan Reitman, but the closest thing he's ever made to a drama might be either Six Days, Seven Nights, or Dave. And those are still straight comedy. So everybody had this idea that, Ivan Reitman was going to turn Draft Day into a comedy, into an Ivan Reitman movie. And really, it is, as his final movie, it's interesting that it is the least Ivan Reitman-like movie he has ever I, made. I wouldn't have known that it was this movie, but that's, like, what a way to go out for your career. Yeah, doing something completely different. Yeah. Uh, and doing something that it has comedy in it, but it's not a comedy. And Yeah, uh, exactly. It's, like, a very lighthearted movie, and the comedy is not forced, but it's it's just, you know, natural moments when you're just laughing because it's like, oh, that's, you know, yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, 
She's had a couple kids, so she forgot what she was going to say five seconds ago. Yeah, I'm apparently illiterate now. <laughs> illiterate? Were you reading a script? Oh, dude. Did you forget what illiterate meant, too? <laughs> oh, I did. <laughs> oh. Yeah, okay, never mind. Can you cut that? I don't know. What, do I have to? Okay, I guess not. Now people know I'm stupid. <laughs> not stupid. You just didn't think before you spoke. <laughs> Happens to you all the time. I'm sorry for people that are paying for this that you have to listen to. Well, this, my, my this one's all free. Don't worry oh, about that. Okay. Our, people signing up for Patreon, we deliver better content than the free crap. Then again, <laughs> you can listen to my garbage for free. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> this is what you get for not paying. You want to start paying us, Jamie will start doing the research. That's right, because I'll actually take notes during a movie for once. Yeah, you have never taken a note ever. No, never. Yeah, and, and when, when it comes down to what your opening line is going to be, you typically ask, like you ask for today, well, what's yours? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to tell you, then you're going to take it. Or I'll be like, can you give, can you give me one, please? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no research at all. Uh, but famous last words, but I don't think this movie's going to take us as long, even though we're huge fans of this compared to you with Timothy Green last week or... Oh, but uh, there's just so many opposing views with that movie, though. Yeah, well, well, also, I mean, this is a very fast-paced movie. It all takes place in one day. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of it is just little details, you know. And what I find interesting about this, I love, no matter what it is, I love the business side of sports. Mm. Uh, I, that's why, you know, Jerry Maguire, when you said, what's your favorite sports movie? And I've had people who tell me, Jerry Maguire is not a, a football movie. I'm like, yes, it is. It's a movie about a different side of sports. It's about a sports agent. Yes, there is. It's all the stuff that you never see. Yeah, and yes, there's side plots about him getting married and stuff like that, and personal stories with him and his adopted child or whatever, uh, or stepchild. But primarily, it is still a movie about a sports agent, and it just centers around the NFL. But all the movies like that, Moneyball with Brad Pitt, I don't know if you ever saw that one. Mm, I don't know. Yeah, another good movie. But, uh, yeah, I, I love the business side of sports. And th that's this movie, you don't see any football in this movie. Other than some game footage that they show in the background. Yeah, uh, exactly. It, it is a very quick fire movie. And also, one thing to point out with this movie, and uh, I, I think I mentioned this last week, but I think this movie might have the distinction of having more actors who have appeared in superhero movies than any other non-superhero movie ever made. Yeah, I remember you mentioning that. Yeah, like, I remember when Les Mis came out, being like, Look at all the people in Les Mis that were in superhero movies. You have Russell Crowe who played Jarrell. You had Hugh Jackman who played Wolverine. You had Anne Hathaway who played Catwoman. You know, um, does it go on from there? Um, I'm sure a couple other people. But there were there were there was a big cast of people who had been in superhero movies. And with this, it's like it's ridiculous. You got Kevin Costner, Jonathan Kent, right from Man of Steel. Jennifer Garner, Elektra in both Elektra and Daredevil. Dennis Leary uh, from The Amazing Spider-Man is Captain Stacy. Frank Langella, who plays the owner of the team, who played Perry White in um, Superman Returns. I'm watching this, I thought he was Christopher Lee. Yeah, you did. You thought, you're like, is that the guy who plays Count Dooku in Star Wars? I, I totally thought it was him. Yeah, I mean, Okay, well, they, they look the same from behind. The guy's wearing sunglasses, and he kind of sounds like him. <laughs> well, Frank Langella... Um, uh, He's American. Uh, <laughs> he's younger. Uh, he's also a bit controversial right now. I don't know if we'll touch on that in this episode, but I don't know if we're allowed to say we like French, Frank Langella anymore. But uh, uh, that's something that's only come up last week. But anyways, Frank Langella, Perry White. You got Sam Elliott in this movie, uh, who played uh, General Ross in the original Hulk movie, the Ang Lee one. Um, you got Chadwick Boseman in this movie, who played Black Panther. You've got Tom Welling, who played Clark Kent on Smallville. 
Uh, you have um, David Ramsey here, who plays one of the you know analysts or, or whatever that, the, that they have uh, in all the war room scenes, who played John Diggle on Arrow. Yeah, and also had uh, you know a couple of identities on the show. One of which, which I won't spoil it, but uh, he, he, and he had that cameo or whatever on uh, Superman and Lois. He was on oh, that's basically. right, yeah, yeah. And and the, the, without spoiling anything, the, the finale of Arrow sets him up to potentially be a huge DC character whose alter ego also starts with John. Dun, um, dun, dun, dun. Beethoven, John Beethoven is who he's playing. That's that's right. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and, um, uh, and of course, Sean P. Diddy Combs, who, um, <laughs> just a superhero in real life. But there is one more in here, and I told you, um... That guy has changed his name, like, a thousand times, by the way. He has, yeah. Wasn't it, like, 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 like... Uh, love? It? Yeah, Daddy Love or something. Yeah, something, something like that, something yeah. Something like that. But you know what? Throughout all the years, he, he's always just been Puff Daddy to me. Yeah, I mean, like I've never called him even like Sean Combs or whatever the heck you call them. Like <laughs> whatever you call them. <laughs> I, I was like ten. Whatever seconds. that stupid name was that came out of your mouth. <laughs> I was like ten seconds ago and I already forgot. But I know I all all that I remember hearing about the, his last name change that he did was some wrestler or whatever was I think upset about Brother it. Love. Yeah, that it was like the same name or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then he said, "Oh, I didn't mean that because he didn't realize there already was." A brother love, so all of a sudden he decided he was just going to be love or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Wh why not you Google first, you know, Sean, <laughs> Sean P. Dickel Combs. <laughs> P. P. Dickel? <laughs> um, and then there was one more in here. So the guy who plays up, basically this movie centers around the day of the draft and who Kevin Costner, as the GM of the Cleveland Browns, is going to pick. And the big sign, the one that everybody wants, is this guy... Um, What's his name? Bo, uh... Bo Jack Horseman? Bo Jack Horseman, yes. That, that's, a, that's a show. Bo something. I know it's a show, but Bo something. Uh, the big quarterback. Now, I told you when you were watching that guy, you basically said he looks like he could be Orlando Bloom's brother. Yeah. But... Yeah, like, he doesn't look just like him, but he definitely looks related. Yeah, but I told you, he actually played somebody in a superhero movie, and uh, I told you, I, I'm not going to tell you who it is, because you might not recognize him anyways... But you'd be surprised. So uh, you said he kind of looked like Orlando Bloom. Now, what if I told you he looked a little bit like Liam Neeson? Uh, Would you say yes or no? Uh, I don't know. Like, maybe a little bit. So here he is, Josh Pence, playing oh, Liam yeah. Neeson in The Dark Knight Rises, the young Ra's al Ghul in The Dark Knight Rises. Okay, yeah, I see it. So basically your entire cast, entire main cast, minus one or two people, have all been in superhero movies, which is just crazy. Um, with this movie, just just to kind of throw something in there, and I, again, sorry, I I know I probably like always throw you off with these recordings that I do with you because you probably have this all like itinerary. That's not even a word, but <laughs> and stuff, and I always you know interject and everything. Look at me using my big words. See, I'm smart. Um, but you know what I didn't really think about until we were just sitting down actually talking about this movie now. Because it feels so natural, like, their love story, because, like, number one, it doesn't really feel forced, it doesn't feel like, oh, they just added this on, you know, so women would have an interest in this movie. Although, if you think about it, like, that's probably pretty much what it's actually for, is to give another side to this guy. Uh, but what what did you think about their, their love story? Do you think, like, it would have to actually be in there, or do you think it was a waste, or... 
Do you think I, it, it works just because of the actors that they chose? No, I think it's perfect for this movie because of the way they handle it. They drop, and we'll talk about it in a second, but the way they kind of drop you in there and without any of the background. The most interesting thing about this is that they only have one, you know, romance scene in this entire movie, and it's like the last scene in the movie, you know? Yeah. Other than that, they're co-workers who just happen to yeah. be together, you know, and that, that's and everything all Everything is. is just so subtle and so brief. Yeah, and, and, and I like that. And also, this isn't me just saying this because this is Jennifer Garner Buck, but I, I would argue she probably has the best character in this entire movie, even though, you know, her screen time isn't as much as Kevin Costner's. I would argue she has the most interesting character in this entire movie. I really liked her in this one. She's fantastic. I mean, everybody's great in this movie. you got a lot of different personalities. Some of the minor players I'm excited to talk about here. Uh, by the way, it's Bo Callahan. That's the name oh, of yes. the big quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, just uh, as we get into the movie here, um, uh, we are going to go through this, as I said, quite quickly because the movie takes place in one day and it is quite quick. But uh, as far as getting the NFL's rights, now this isn't something that's common. Um, the, the NFL has never really given access. There's been a few movies, I mean, obviously – real movies that are true life stories will allow NFL names to be made. But as far as like a fictional film about the NFL, they're very protective. The only time that I think that an NFL movie or a movie with NFL teams was ever made was Jerry Maguire. But because football is a smaller part of that, you know, it wasn't as big as this. This is everything. Like you see all the teams there. They film this at the real draft, the, the 2013 draft, uh, which in and of itself is incredibly complicated how they were able to pull that off. But just getting the NFL's uh, access to this and permission is unbelievable uh, because they wrote the script. The screenwriters wrote the script assuming we'll never get the NFL's permission. This is a small movie. It's a small character drama. So they basically wrote it where you'd have it the way all other movies are. Instead of, by the way, originally this was supposed to take place in Buffalo uh, and not Cleveland. They changed it to Cleveland because, you know, it was going to be cheaper to film there or whatever. But uh, the script was written where it would be Buffalo. And, and kind of like in the movie The Replacements, you might see the same colors of a jersey as Buffalo has, but you wouldn't necessarily have them identified as the Buffalo Bills. You know, that's the way this movie was written. And it was kind of a shock where they're like, yeah, we're not only going to be allowed NFL access you know, to film there and all that, but we're going to be allowed to use all the team names and everything, which is crazy. But uh, this movie, uh, it starts with the countdown where it's like just under 13 hours until the draft begins. Uh, and the movie actually opens with the Seattle Seahawks uh, and their GM. And I love how all the GMs, you get different environments. Some of them are in offices. Some of them are in war rooms like we see with the Cleveland Browns. Like Kevin Costner is waking up at home. I mean, this guy, the Seattle Seahawks guy who has the number one draft pick is sleeping on the couch in his office, waking up at what, five in the morning or something like that. It was like, like 4.30, I think, in the morning. Yeah, Seattle time was like 4.30 in the morning. And he's just waking up there. Uh, but uh, the, the whole backstory uh, for the Seattle Seahawks in this is that they have the number one draft pick that year, and it's a given you have to select Bo Callahan. I mean, this is the guy. We're more familiar with hockey, at least. I mean, the, the closest thing I think you can get to this, typically a draft, it's going to be like, oh, we expect this person might go number one, but it could be this person, you know? The closest I think there's ever been to, yes, it is going to be this guy. When, when Connor McDavid was drafted, uh, you've heard the name Connor McDavid, plays for Rose. Uh, when he was drafted, it's like, okay, you're going to be a fool if you don't pick up Connor McDavid. Every once in a while, you get a year where it's like, oh, it's going to be this guy, Austin Matthews and uh, Patrick Liney. Austin Matthews ended up being drafted by the Leafs. They had the number one draft pick. The Jets had the number two draft pick. They got Patrick Liney. It was pretty much assumed Austin Matthews is going to go number one. Liney's going to go number two. But you might have a shakeup. It could go the other way. Yeah. But it's, it's, and, it's, and didn't they say, too, that depending on 
uh, what you get picked that, that also determines how much you get paid? Yeah, d depending on where you land in the draft, that's what your salary is. And that's a big reason why these players, these recent college graduates, uh, have agents and are pushing for this and they're communicating with the teams, which you see a lot of in this movie. And I'm not saying this is the most realistic movie ever made on how a draft works. I mean, I, I would assume it's realistic enough because the NFL had to sign off on all this. But uh, yeah, you, you you really do have agents who are going to be representing you and you're going to be making phone calls to all the teams that you think might draft you. Because the way it works is you basically sign a contract with say the NFL or the NHL and you're up for grabs and whoever decides to sign you signs you. Uh, they make mention of this uh, at one point in the movie about a very famous person who got drafted 199th overall. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's just because you're drafted first doesn't mean it's gonna be you're, you're gonna be the best. But a team has to really know they're willing to commit to you, and that's kind of the dilemma with the Seahawks guy here. This is basically saying, yeah, you know, we'd love to have Bo Callahan, but our salary cap is a problem, and that's the thing in sports too is that you have every team has this is the maximum amount that you can spend on salaries for your players. Um, just last night, I don't know if you overheard any of the conversation, I was talking with my nephews about uh, a, a great player who um, basically w w had signed like a life, basically a lifetime contract, and now he's been picked up by another team for $750,000 a year when he was getting paid $7 million a year. The reason, because they signed somebody to a contract that they eventually said, hey, we need to free up some space here, so you will then have to negotiate with another team to pay half of the salary for a player, you end up paying for somebody that you're trading away. All these things happen in sports, but the salary cap is an issue for the Seahawks here. So uh, they're basically saying like, you know, we're going to have a problem. Like we're going to let so many people go if we pick up Callahan. Uh, and they're basically saying, we need to find a way out of not having to select Bo Callahan. If we can trade, and this is something you can, you could trade draft picks all the way up until the draft starts, even during the draft in this movie. Uh, and they just say, who's the most desperate guy we know? Uh, and then we cut to Kevin Costner, who is the GM of the Cleveland Browns. Um, the, the reason that it became Cleveland in this movie, uh, as I said, was because Buffalo, you know, they, they decided we didn't want to film Buffalo or the Buffalo Bills didn't want to get it. The Buffalo kind of was a logical one because of the idea that the Buffalo Bills made the Super Bowl so many times, but never won it. Like they, they have the record, I think, for most Super Bowl appearances without winning. Changing it to Cleveland makes it different because Cleveland has this decades and decades long drought. Uh, which is similar to the movie Major League, which did the same thing. It's like, oh, you know, the, the Cleveland Indians have never won anything. Uh, but when we're introduced to Kevin Costner, he's just writing a note, which we don't know what the note is. And then we get Jennifer Garner. Uh, and this is what you're saying about it's, it's very subtle. You don't even know what's going on. They're not talking about what's going on. They kind of let it just get revealed naturally through the script that they're having a baby. And um, he's basically saying, you know, his dad just died. So this is a bad week to learn you're becoming a father. And this is the other thing I love about their relationship in this movie. She doesn't sit there and say, how dare you? Which is what we normally get in movies. She's like, yeah, I know. Like, the guy's grieving his father who just died. And now you're telling me he's going to be a father at, what, the age of 50-something. Like, yeah, that would be difficult on him. And she's quite understanding with this. Um, but uh, the, the he gets the phone call from the, the Seahawks guy who's eating his pancakes. And he wants to trade. Uh, he wants to trade the number one draft pick, which Seattle has. And at this point, Cleveland has the number seven draft pick and they want to swap it. But it's not just a clean swap because who's going to say, I want to give up the number one draft pick for the number seven. So, so he basically says, I want your number one draft picks for the next three years. Uh, and he basically says, you have 30 seconds or whatever to answer. And Kevin Costner says, enjoy your breakfast or whatever. Um, there's a, a couple of things mentioned, but a lot of other 
characters uh, that get introduced here. One being Brian Drew, who is Tom Welling's character. Now, Tom Welling, of course, Clark Kent on Smallville, one of our heroes. He's, he's also an actor. <laughs> Very good actor. <laughs> yes, he's acting hard. Uh, but uh, Can you hear my eyebrows raising? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, Tom Welling is the current quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. So they're, they're saying, they're like, okay, well, he's injured or whatever. He, he blew out his knee last season. So they're introducing this dilemma of, you know what? We could, we have a quarterback, but if we get Bo Callahan, we don't know if Tom Willing or Brian Drew is going to work out anyways. Uh, we get a little bit of the backstory with the town just sort of told. I love how the radio and the TV is used constantly here to kind of give commentary and exposition without actually having to, you know, have somebody verbalize it. Uh, and then we're introduced to Chadwick Bozeman, who plays Vontae Mack, who is a, I think he's supposed to be a linebacker in this, a defensive player. And uh, he's calling Kevin Costner. And, and this is what, what I'm saying. Look, these guys already have a relationship. You know that the GM of the Cleveland Browns, Kevin Costner, has been on the phone with guys for weeks because this is the guy he expects. I think I want him. They also mentioned Ray Stevenson, I think, who is Terry Crews on this movie, uh, which, by the way, the only football, the only two football players who act in this movie are the those two guys are, um, uh, or, or sorry, it's Ray Jennings. So uh, Ray Jennings, the the guy who plays him, is a football player named Arian Foster. Uh, he was an NFL player at this time. He hadn't really acted before. They wanted to get a real football player for this. They got him. And then, of course, um, his dad played by uh, by Terry Crews. Terry Crews was a famous football player before he got into acting. Uh, so you get both of these guys on the phone calls and everything. And uh, with um, uh, with Chadwick Boseman, with Vontae Mack, the guy that you get that Kevin Costner really wants to pick up, he's basically saying, like, you know, I need you to pick me up at number seven. Because if I drop down to the teens in the draft, and the next time that there would be another team that would potentially want me would be someone in the teens, I can't take that type of pay cut. Uh, the backstory you're going to get is that uh, you know his sister's kids, he's raising his sister's kids. So even though he's a 22 year old guy, which funny, Chadwick Boseman was like 37 when he made this movie, but you know, yeah, I heard uh, in the story she came to a game. Uh, and caught his ball, and didn't they say that she died? She died six months later, later, yeah. So he's obviously taking care of all them. He is a new, uh, you know, uh, I guess, uncle slash father, uh, and I love in this movie, I mean, you never see him, and I think one of the best things about this movie, one of the things that I think it deserves the most credit for from people who maybe never thought to give this movie a second look, is how they use phone conversations in this. Whenever yeah. you have, This movie is nothing but phone conversations, and yet it never feels like you have two people on the phone going back and forth. I mean, the editing, it almost reminds me of Ang Lee's The Hulk, how Ang Lee's The Hulk did the, the comic book split screens. Because you don't just have split screens. You'll have split screens, and then you'll cut to another split screen. And sometimes the you'll... people walk into each of the screens. Yeah, like you'll have yeah. Kevin Costner on the phone right here yeah. with Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Kevin Costner is walking across his frame, but he's actually crossing into Chadwick Boseman's frame. And then... They'll swipe over, and then Kevin Costner's in a new, you know, split yeah, screen. Yeah, it's very cool. It, it really keeps the energy up in this movie, and it doesn't feel like you have a million phone conversations. But really, if you think about it, Chadwick Boseman does nothing but be on the phone until the last scene of this movie. Yeah, exactly. But he's basically taking his nephews and nieces or whatever to uh, their gymnastics practice. He's saying he can't drop to the teens. The next call is Terry Crews and his son, and you get that like he has a, a, a background, like a, not criminal background, but. There was an incident recently involving um, uh, Ray Jennings, the the other guy. Now this is the the running back that Dennis Dennis Leary really wants to pick up. 
Uh, he's basically saying, oh, I'm not in the gang because he had gotten in some fight with a bunch of people, and he explains the story here. Those are really the two characters that get introduced um, that are the potential ones the Cleveland Browns are going to pick up in this draft. One guy that Dennis Leary really wants, we're going to find out, and the one guy that Kevin Costner wants, but both of them are given these backstories where you sympathize with them. Uh, so it makes it interesting because you're like, I know they can only pick one of these guys. Both of these guys kind of have a bit of a story. And Terry Crews, obviously, they uh, they mentioned his character played for the Cleveland Browns, and his son just wants to play for the Cleveland Browns as well. Um, the, uh, the the next thing we really get here is um, uh, uh, Frank Langella being introduced. So he's calling Kevin Costner. I think he's meeting Kevin Costner at his water park. So Frank Langella, the owner of the team, did you notice that he wore sunglasses the entire movie? Uh, he didn't take them off once? I not don't... once. Oh, not okay. When he's indoors, when he's on camera, nothing. Okay. It, it's it's something that Frank Langella brought in. Frank Langella had worked with uh, Ivan Reitman before. And Frank Langella basically credits Ivan Reitman for saving his career. Because he had gone from... Frank Langella kind of had his biggest success in the 70s. He played Dracula. And then throughout the 80s, he played Skeletor in the Bomb of Masters of the Universe movie. Uh, but his career had kind of gotten to the point where it's like, what am I going to do now? I'm getting too old to be a leading man. And it was Ivan Reitman who started casting in his movies that Frank Langella credits for saving his career. He's like, I can now be a supporting actor uh, who really is, is more than just, you know, a blink and you miss a cameo. So he's, he's sort of always been an Ivan Reitman guy. But uh, Frank Langella basically insisted, I want to wear sunglasses for the entire movie. And they were doubtful whether or not it would work until they saw him on set. They're like, that look works. That looks like a pompous owner of a team who knows nothing about football. His entire conversation with Kevin Costner has nothing to do with football. It's basically... Hey, I hear that we could potentially get uh, the number one draft pick, so we're, we're going to get Bulk Ally because he keeps saying, I want you to make a splash. And you were kind of asking what that meant, right? Yeah, because I didn't realize the whole water park thing at first. Yeah, well, they're at a water park. But but the idea is that um, it's not necessarily about, oh, are you going to get a smart move for your team? Do you want a star that's going to sell tickets? And that's what Frank Langella is interested in. Which it's interesting they write, they write the owner exactly the way the owner should be, just as a a guy who is only interested in what this could do financially for the team. Oh, were you expecting me to say something? Apparently, <laughs> I nothing to say. Uh, so Kevin Costner now is having second thoughts. He'd already turned down the Seahawks uh, offer. So he calls back and he says, all right, let's do the deal. My next three years of first round draft picks for the number one draft pick this year. And then the Seahawks guy is playing hardball here. He goes, well, we live in a different world than we did a few hours ago. Um, and uh, this is going to be coming a running gag. And also something that's very realistic in sports. I mean, these people, they're negotiators. And it's not just you can smell blood. They're like, you want to get the best deal you can get. And I love that even the Seahawks guy, who's probably the closest thing to a villain this movie has, the Seahawks GM, still you kind of see things from his point of view, you know? He's like, I don't have the money for a number one draft pick, but I need to get everything I can out of it. I need to make sure that I'm not looking like an idiot when this trade goes through. Yeah, I remember that. I thought that was a big point that he had. <laughs> That's why you're telling him to make a splash. We watched the movie last night and she remembers it. That's no, that's no, but I remember that he didn't want to look stupid. That's what I'm saying. The Seahawks guy. Yeah. 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 Well, what is the, the line Kevin Costa has later on? Every year of, of the draft, somebody comes out of this looking like a donkey. Don't let it be oh, you. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. I was mixing up lines, but yes. Okay, now yeah. that makes sense. Well, I wasn't saying you were mixing up lines, but I'm saying... No, no, no I did. I, but I, I know that I did. Okay. So, last thing we'll really talk about here... Um, Dennis Leary gets introduced in this movie. So Kevin Costner has come in and he's basically 
um, explaining, hey, guess what? We have everybody's telling the stories now. Now, Dennis Leary, who's pitching for Ray Jennings, he is telling this story about all this terrible stuff Jennings do as Kevin Costner walks in, and Kevin Costner just does one thing on the board. He writes number one, and we have the number one draft pick now. Everybody's excited, uh, and of course, this means like, of course, they're gonna have Bo Callahan and uh, Dennis Leary. Dennis Leary is upset because if we already have a quarterback, and he's, Kevin Costner's like, all right, well, the draft's not done yet. Everybody, dig up any information you can. Find out any weaknesses. And one of the best lines in this movie uh, is where he he says, uh, "I need to know if Bo has knee problems, bedwetting problems, or OCD." I remember that. That was great. Yeah, uh, but uh, so many characters are introduced here, and uh, it, it's it's so quick at the beginning of this movie. But I feel like they actually do a good job of introducing all these characters, including some of the ones we have. We were introduced to Tom Welling's character. He hasn't appeared on screen yet. And everybody has a distinct personality, you know? Yeah, and he was basically just talked about forever before he even came on the screen. Yeah, and really we haven't seen Bo Callahan yet either. No, yeah, that's it's kind of similar for both of the quarterbacks, actually. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Yeah, we, we figured out this microphone thing yet? Have we been talking in the microphone backwards for the last half hour? Uh, I don't know. I think my brain has been backwards for the last half hour. <laughs> Just blame Jamie's brain because she had children and that's what happens, right? I have a very bad memory. Maybe I forgot to put on a setting. Although you're the brains of this operation for the recording, so who knows? Yeah, well, then blame I, my brains. I guess I can blame you. Blame me. Uh, so yeah, we're talking about all these people we haven't been introduced to yet. You know who we're introduced to before we get introduced to the two main quarterbacks who are battling for position? Rick the Intern. Played by, did you know that this is not Elijah Wood? Could you tell it wasn't Elijah Wood? Okay, Colin, I asked you that, but I saw him out of like the corner of my eye, like just when he was on the screen for like a split second. <laughs> is that Elijah Wood? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I know I've seen the movie before, but I just, again, I forgot. But this guy's one of the more fun characters in the movie. and He's great. Like, Especially le- when he's, he's saying like, uh, you know, uh, uh, he told me to go have intercourse with my mother and yeah. she passed away. I didn't tell him that though. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, let's be honest. I mean, it, it, he is the most formulaic character in this movie. This movie is fairly, I guess, realistic just in terms of like, it's grounded. Like you said, they're not bothering with all this, uh, backstory with characters in his case. I mean, how convenient that on the most important day of the year for this entire franchise, uh, everybody is out sick and they're left with Rick the intern who has no idea what he's doing. But again, he brings some some comedy to this movie. I mean, this is probably something that Ivan Reitman uh, felt a little bit more comfortable with. Uh, but uh, when we're introduced to him, I mean, I love the, all the little characters we get, all these analysts. So one of the analyst guys uh, for, for the team, uh, he's sitting there just screaming at this intern. And, and this is one of the reasons I say Jennifer Garner is the best character in the movie. Because she's in there basically saying, hey, what's your problem, right? Like, she's not one of these characters who's like so in your face and like, no, you didn't. You know, <laughs> she's just like, hey, cool off. Go take a breather. I'll get you what you need. Just stop yelling at her interns, you know? She's she's basically like a mom. She's a mom. Yeah, she's... E- even though, like, in this movie, she's not a mom yet, she's a mom. I, I, I would go as far as say she... It, this, I'm sure somebody's going to assume this is derogatory, but she's like one of the boys, you know, it, on this team. Because she's the one female character. I mean, there's other women there, but as far as, like, the people who are higher up here, she's the one woman on the team who literally doesn't talk to anybody else differently. They don't talk to her any differently. You know, like, they just treat her as an equal. Uh, and if, if I were to say anything, she's like one of the boys who actually is the one boy who has her head on her shoulder. So she's the girl who has her head on her shoulders. Right. 
that sounds less derogatory. I know what you're trying to say. She like she's one of the guys. Like she's just one one of the team. Yeah. You know what? Like, I don't obviously uh, have any experience with working for any type of sports companies or anything like that, or ever played professional sports. But you know, my old job that <laughs> you I you even played amateur, oh, stop, very amateur sports. No, I'm not, that's a real curious question. Did you ever play on any sporting team growing up? Uh, volleyball team in school. Okay, well, that's a cool sport. Yeah. That's that, athletic. I really like volleyball. Yeah. I like to watch it and play it. Yeah. Yeah. Any, anyway, as I was saying, though, my old job that I used to work at, um, you know, it was a team full of women. And, you know, there would be some guys that sometimes would be hired and they would fit right in with everybody else. And, you know, who who knows? Maybe that term one of the guys is a little bit backwards, just because you know for, for that one guy that fits in with all of us, we didn't say, "Oh, he's one of the girls." Yeah. <laughs> it's just, but I know where you're coming from. It, well, it was the same type of thing because honestly, it's probably really hard for a guy to be the only guy on a team of like let's say six to eight women. Well, it, it goes and, and both ways. Probably, it, I was going to say it's probably the same the other way. Yeah, it, it goes both ways. You know, like. It, and again, some people are gonna be like, "Oh, well, that's just sexist." Sort of like, if you are the only guy working among all women, yeah, there are different ways that that women communicate that yeah. guys aren't familiar with. There, and, are, and I'm very and, familiar with that because, like, I, I'm the only girl with seven, seven brothers. Yeah, and so, like, I mean, I kind of have a little bit of experience with that just because I, I saw a lot of the guys' side growing up. Yeah, like I've I've worked in environments of mostly, sometimes exclusively women. And being the one guy there, like, sometimes you got to bite your tongue and be like, this is pretty uncomfortable. Like, do they realize that I'm here? And yeah. this, it goes the other way, you know? There are there are situations where, where I know women who are in an all-male environment, and it's not always comfortable, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it's just, and it's not a thing about unprofessionalism. It's just, they relate differently. And I think what's great about this movie is that Jennifer Garner is still, like, the sensible woman in this group. And even though she fits in, like they don't, they don't feel like they have to tiptoe around her or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't feel like she has to tiptoe around them. But yet, you could tell she has a little bit more maturity. I wouldn't yeah. even say she has more maturity. I think. Oh the, yeah, people test her in this movie, and well, she she's always graceful about it. What this movie is illustrating is is more than anything. You know, people are heated because they're all competing with each other. She is. If you if you want to think about why she's the one who has her head on her shoulders, she's the one on the outside. You know, she is the financial side of this. She's integrated with the rest of them, but she's not battling with. Well, you shouldn't pick up this plate. Like she doesn't have a say in it. She has a say in. You know what? We don't have the money for that, and it's just the way it is. Like, but but she's she's so good in this movie. Like I said, she's probably my favorite character now on multiple watches of this movie. Um, you but- know, it is kind of a side note, but it's really funny though. Uh, just again, something that you know some people might find a little bit entertaining uh yes i have a lot of experience with you know uh men and guys and stuff like that growing up with seven, can, can, thank you with thank you uh, thank you the way no, no, the way listen, you started for i got a lot of experience with a lot of guys <laughs> no, just, guys you're not even aware of colin no I'm some of which are in the other room okay stop. you probably haven't heard them stop i'm not going to, to details like that that's weird anyways growing up being around a lot of guys and stuff like that because I have seven brothers. But, you know, it is really fun and interesting, though, to get into a relationship with an adult guy being an adult female 
like again when we got together and I'm asking you all these questions like do you guys really talk about that do you guys really talk about this and you'd be like no actually we don't and lots of people like constantly think oh guys are just you know pervs and and all they talk about is this and that and stuff like that people have so many assumptions but it's pretty much the opposite and it's pretty much more accurate for women like like when we gather in groups and stuff like that like we're dirty we're we're, and we we like give details too i don't even think guys like to give details yeah i I feel like we've talked about this recently even not i don't i don't think so but i'm sure we have but but it was really fun though when we got married though and i'd ask you these questions and and i was i was like wow really Uh, again people are just gonna accuse me of being too naive or whatever but the honest truth is is, we're not talking about just my experience we're talking about my experience of working in all male environments where guys are not shy you know and you might have one in a group that is definitely more of a loud mouth and definitely a little bit dirtier not as shy as others but for the most part most guys are pretty reserved. They don't want to talk about personal things. And, and on the same on the same note, something else that's really funny too, and we probably have brought this up before, and I know this just because I've actually wandered into the wrong bathroom way more times than I'd care to admit. I actually have a very bad habit of not really looking to see what the symbol is on the door before <laughs> I walk in. But you know what's really hilarious is that guy washrooms are so much more cleaner than women's. <laughs> Like, so much more clean. You would think, oh, l- ladies, you know, they're going to be, like, all, you know, prim and proper and, and clean and stuff like that. I'm not joking with you. In a place where I worked before, and I won't say where it was, because I've had a couple jobs, but in a place where I worked before, I walked into the bathroom, and I went into the stall, and I sat down. And I'm not even joking with you. It was like a foot in front of me from the toilet. And I'm so happy that I didn't even step in it. I didn't even notice it. A foot in front of the toilet in front of me was a log of crap. It was actual piece of poo. And I, you know what bothered me even more than it grossing me out is I sat there thinking, how did this happen? How did this happen? You are one... What did they eat? No, you are one foot from the toilet. How is it... Like, if it was right beside the toilet or right in front of it... Okay, it was literally a foot right in front of the toilet. Like, just just pretty much when you're opening the stall door. I was like, how? How did this happen? So, I I, I can't speak to what woman's washroom is like, but... I can tell you what's probably more common. Men are going to make messes like that in a men's washroom, but they attempt to clean. They just attempt to clean up poorly, you know. So if you had a situation like that in a men's bathroom, you would probably see wads and wads of paper towels and smears all over the floor because they attempted to clean it up just poorly, you know. Yeah. Well, how, you, how did we get on this yeah, uh, rabbit trail? But it is interesting, though. I'm I'm pretty yeah. sure people like that little story. Yeah, I'm sure people like it. <laughs> if you like it, you can hear more about human excrement and other bodily functions hey, if you, you know sign what? up to Patreon. It was it wasn't the only time when when I had to experience poop at that same job. We got a letter from an angry customer who who threatened us <laughs> that they would. I don't even remember what they threatened us with. I actually talked to this customer, and he was really upset and. Uh, the the next thing I know, my a uh, friend of mine who is opening up the mail, she's like, "Oh, what is this? It's like it looks greasy." And she opens it. It's like, "Oh my goodness!" Yeah. Like he literally mailed it, and it could have been from an animal, it might not have been his, but there was a log of poo <laughs> in with an angry letter. But that was a guy. Yes, it was. Yeah. So well, it sounded like a guy on the phone. I mean, you never but, know. But but that's the difference. He was trying to clean it up. Yeah. That, was, that was his attempt to poorly clean it up. Uh, no, I think he was trying to send us a message. I know. I was, it was a joke. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Glad to see yeah. that your your jokes things are 
cluing in. Uh, my brain's gone too. Anyways, uh, we get introduced to P. Diddy here. As you said, you always know him as Puff Daddy. That's, uh, that's it. That's do you have it. a favorite P. Diddy, Puff Daddy, brother love song? Uh, yeah, the pretty much the... I know there's that one like... It's like, oh, yeah. That's I, all Puff Daddy songs. Oh, yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. Are, are, are you thinking the, the Come With Me one? from The, the Godzilla. Yeah. That, that, that's not my favorite, even though that's a good song. But you know what? I really like that I'll Be Missing You song. I think I, that's a cover, it's, though. Right? Well, well, it samples the police. Yeah, yeah. But, um, no, I mean, I, 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 I like some of the stuff. Uh, but uh, I'm trying to think what the song is. I only uh, know those two songs. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I loved his first album. Uh, of what's the, all about the Benjamins is a great it, song. Is it called Uh Huh? Yeah. Yeah, it's called Uh Huh. Yeah, the saga continues. That's good. And Bad Boy for Life. That's a you. You hate when I sing Bad Boy for Life. Bad Boys for Life. I, I have you ever actually we sang that? Going nowhere. Oh yeah, that, that song's go stupid. nowhere. You know that's stupid. Take a jam. No, stupid. We can't even stop now because it's bad boys for life. <laughs> wild, wild west. Wild, wild west. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's he's the agent, and I like that they just throw these celebrities in. They're like, "Are you gonna go and get some movie started? This you get P Diddy. He's gonna he's is, gonna is, act. Is like he a has been at this point? I wouldn't say that. I mean, he he doesn't. He's he very infrequently releases music. I mean, one thing to understand about him is he, he didn't start as an artist he started as a producer for other people oh really and yeah and then he decided to branch out and do his own project which became way bigger than it ever should have mm. the, the fact that you know uh was it the notorious big died uh had a lot to do with his success because that song was written as a tribute to him yeah i remember that that's why yeah. but you gotta wonder if, if notorious big had never died i mean would the puff daddy and the family album have ever gone anywhere but anyways he's playing an agent here yeah, I, I liked him in this movie, though. Well, and, and what I like about the scene is the subtlety, because he's representing Bo Callahan, the big quarterback, the obvious number one draft pick. And um, the way that Bo's character is revealed without you ever revealing anything about his character, I think is interesting. Uh, and it all comes down to a line Kevin Costner has later on in the movie where he's talking about, you know, character is the most important thing to him. And in this opening scene, you know, when, when uh, they're on the phone, because they're like, well, we understand you got the number one draft pick now, just so you know. Bo Callahan will be very happy to play for Cleveland. Uh, this, they don't care where they play as long as they go number one and get the, the biggest paycheck, you know? Exactly, exactly. Uh, but uh, uh, the, the way that there's just this polite insincerity with Bo here, I love. Because he's basically asked the question. Kevin Costner's asking the question. is like, tell me, how important is winning to you? And he goes, winning is everything. And he goes, well, everybody says that. And there's this silence. And then his agent, P. Diddy, is writing down, talk about his dad. Because his dad just died. By the way, my condolences about your dad. Like... Any sincerity he has, it sounds sincere, but it's obviously scripted. Like, he's being fed what to say. You could just say this is uh, somebody being coached by their agent. Is it really any different with with Ray Jennings later on, with Terry Crews' dad kind of coaching him? But we're going to have more with Bo Callahan, where they, I, I think also one of the most interesting characters in this movie, even though you don't see much of him. Uh, and then we also get another interaction with Vontae here, good old Chad, Chadwick Boseman, uh, as... Kevin Costner walks in his office and his mom's there. Now his mom is there to basically spread the ash of his father, which we have a debate on that, which will come up. Uh, but uh, uh, she's basically saying about, oh, Vontae, you know, is upset. And well, how did you know about this? And it's like, he tweeted it. He goes, you're on Twitter. And she just goes, you're not like that. That's that this. Was, that was great. That was in the trailer too. Yeah. And, and this actress is probably the most accomplished actor in this entire movie. Ellen Bernstein. Uh, you'd probably know her. If you, did you ever see the exorcist? Yes. 
Yeah, she the plays mom. the mom in The Exorcist, but she's been nominated for like five or six Academy Awards throughout her career. I mean, we're, we're talking she's had nominations, in multiple nominations in the 70s. She was nominated in the 80s. She was, I think, nominated most recently in uh, the early 2000s for a movie called Requiem for a Dream. She's won Emmys. She's won Tony. She's literally won everything. I think she even won a Grammy Award for like a spoken word album. But like, literally, she she wins anything she's up for, except for Draft Day. She never got nominated, sadly. But uh, can you imagine if Helen Bernstein got nominated for Supporting Actress? If Meryl Streep played this, she would have gotten an Oscar nomination for Supporting Actress. Well, she gets it for everything. Yeah, unfortunately. But uh, but yeah, the, the, the mom storyline, um, we'll, we'll get back to in a second. But uh, uh She's basically revealed Vontae is trashing you on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and, and I love this whole sequence of scenes because this is sort of, you know, summing up how chaotic this day is and how much, like, every second matters. Because you go from he's on the phone with Bo Callahan to all of a sudden got bad news about Vontae, and yet we don't even get back to Vontae until a couple scenes later. Because as soon as he finds out about this with his mom telling him, uh, all of a sudden Dennis, Dennis Leary <laughs> comes into Kevin Costner's office and he just sets... The, this contract on fire and uh, uh jennifer garner comes in and again just like totally cool just uses the fire extinguisher puts out the fire and then just casually asks and, and you saw like rick the intern like running around oh fire fire alley fire <laughs> uh, but you just have her casually put, putting out the fire and they're like can i get you guys anything and they're like yeah how about a coffee and they're both saying like yeah get me this with two sugars or whatever just get your own coffee <laughs> just like blows them off and walks out of there that was great uh but, but this is kind of the interesting thing is that i don't know if if her character as the female in this environment that uh, that's kind of a running gag. She often gets treated like a secretary. Yeah. And she plays into it. There are times like right here where she's like, Hey, can I get you guys anything? And then she's like, no, I'm not getting you anything. Uh, and then later on the mom, when she encounters Jennifer Garner, she's like, Oh, would you mind getting us something to drink? You know? And, and at that point she's like, fine, I'll play along with this, whatever. Uh, but, uh, the Dennis Leary, uh, fight with Kevin Costner is fantastic here again for something very subtle. That's in the script. Mm-hmm. So he's going they, on this they, rant. They built this up very good. Yeah, the, well, the, the the conflict between both of them, and then when it's finally it comes to a head at the end, it's like I don't know. It's it's so good. It's yeah, so well, satisfying. And, and the way that this scene, even just this scene, plays out, where Dennis Leary's going on his rant about you know this, you're you're basically paying me to coach a team that you're flushing down the drain because he's upset about how this you know draft negotiations are are going, how they traded away all their future draft picks and all that, and. Um, he, he drops two lines here. He says something about, you know, uh, your, your, your old man dying. And then he says, and you're tapping one of your execs, which by the way, at this point, the movie is supposed to be a secret. Like this isn't common knowledge that Jennifer Gardner and Kevin Costner are sleeping together. And, and then you immediately have Kevin Costner just get right in his face. Like, what did you just say? And Dennis Leary responds to what you think is the offense part. Like you're tapping one of your executives. Like, oh, was that supposed to be a secret? And then he just looks at him and says, around here, my old man is called coach Weaver. And he basically says, show him some respect. He just died. Dennis Leary basically just immediately, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. But what's so cool about the scene is that you think Kevin Costner cares. Oh, you know, oh, you're telling everybody that, that we're sleeping together, which is kind of a running thing in this movie that, you know, oh, should everybody know about this? And then you basically realize with his character, he could care less that people know about this. Yeah. Even when they have a discussion later on, well, I guess we'll just kind of you know, talk about the scene now. When they have the discussion later on where she says, all I want is to not be a secret. He goes, okay, fine. Like, you think that this is a big deal for him, but it's not. So in this scene where Dennis Leary thinks that he's got one on him, and he's basically saying, it's like, no, 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 don't talk about my father that way. Like, that is kind of one of the surprising moments of this movie. You're like, oh, this character and this, this I guess, interaction went differently than I thought it would have been. Um, 
immediately after this, he's on the phone to Vontae. Again, it's one scene after the other. It's just the guy can't catch a break. But Kevin Costner just playing this like a professional. I think any other movie or even just a typical Ivan Reitman movie, at this point, he's pulling his hair out. He's like, oh, you know, he's getting ready to scream. Kevin Costner is a guy, this is just a normal day for him, you know? as the GM of, of you know, uh, an NFL team. It's just a normal day. So he's talking to Vontae. He's like, don't, tw- don't Twitter, don't Twitter. Like, he, he doesn't even know the name for it or whatever. Uh, it's like, just stop. And then Vontae's basically saying, it's like, no, I'm speaking my mind. And he's offering him advice here. At this point, he knows I'm not taking you, but he's yeah. still willing to help him out. He's like, these other teams, these other GMs, yeah. they're going to see that, and they're going to say, this guy can't be trusted. Yeah, he, so do he, yourself a favor. He was basically saying, like, d- delete yourself off of there delete the tweets delete the account like Mm -hmm. gms hate that crap yeah and and chadwick boseman i mean at this point i don't know have you seen chadwick boseman in anything before this movie i mean i know black panther was still a couple years away but were you familiar with him all he'd done a couple movies i'd seen um but even at the point this movie came out it wasn't like wow that's that's chadwick boseman but like the movie 42 that he made that was his big breakthrough movie uh where he played jackie robinson uh, Harrison Ford played uh, the coach in that movie. Did you see that one? No, I don't remember. He also did the James Brown biopic Get On Up right before this movie as well. You didn't see that? No. Those were two very big movies. And what's interesting is that you know Chadwick Boseman, I think at this point, especially for a black actor, I mean, we're at the point now where there's a lot more exposure for non-white actors in Hollywood, you know? Yeah. And Black Panther had a lot to do with that. But the fact is, he got cast in Black Panther because he was Chadwick Boseman. It was basically, who else can you get? Chadwick Boseman is the guy right now. And it's interesting, that even here at Draft Day, when this movie came out, Chadwick Boseman being in this movie was kind of a big deal. It was like, you got Kevin Costner, you've got all these older actors like Frank Langella and uh, Sam Elliott and whoever else. And the young people, like people were talking about Chadwick Boseman, even at this point, this is one of these so guys, he, he was kind of, he was kind of still fresh in his career at that point. Though? Yeah. He was pretty, pretty new, pretty recent. And he had just, like, it was a year, maybe a year prior to this where he had both 42 and get on up come out. But, but yeah, he'd, he'd started to get a lot of buzz, but it wasn't quite at the point where it's like, I, I recognize that's the guy from get on up in 42. But you see something him in this movie where he has a small role in what he could do. Like the, the way that this scene goes where he's basically saying, you know, uh, you, you, I don't think you know everything about Bull Callahan. It's like, oh, well, everybody's telling me the guy's great. He goes, you know, watch uh, – or he only got sacked, what, 11 times last season. And he goes, four were by me. And Kevin Costner's like, I already know that. He goes, yeah, watch that game. Four times in one game and watch – don't watch me watch what he does afterwards. And this is going to come back later on. Just the confidence that Chadwick Boseman has in this scene without being abrasive is incredible. Like it's obviously sad that he's passed away now, but, but you know, everything this guy touched, you could tell he was a star. I think he died of cancer, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was only within the last what two years because there was that mix up with the Oscars. By the way, as even as a huge Chadwick Boseman fan, I know a lot of people are upset that he didn't get the Oscar for, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom or whatever, but uh, Anthony Hopkins got and said, I mean, I love Chadwick Boseman, but like he gave a great performance in a very average movie. Anthony Hopkins gave the performance a lifetime, but uh, the, the fact is... I, Ch- I've never even seen that one yet. Oh, you, you should check them both out. They're both good movies, but uh, Chadwick Boseman, like even in a small role, like this is kind of the movie that even more so than 42 and Get On Up, I'm like, if he can do this in four or five scenes just responding to a telephone... Imagine what this guy's capable of. And it was only like a year or two after that, I think he got cast as Black Panther. And it's like, oh yeah, who else could you have picked? Um, but uh, 
Uh, we're finally at the point now where uh, we're almost ready to calm down the, the chaos of scenes uh, because he goes straight from the scene with Vontae and he doesn't even get to immediately check out this four sacks in one game that he had because uh, he's going through the, the, the workout room and the strength coach is in there and he's basically bragging on Brian Drew on Tom Welling where he's like, you know, you should have seen him the other day. He was bench pressing 400 pounds, one, two, three, four. And he's just pumping the guy. Like you could tell he's selling him because at this point it's gotten out hey, we're probably getting Bo Callahan. People want Brian Drew to, to be there still. He's squatting. He's squatting 400 pounds. Now, is that a big deal? You're more the weightlifter than I am. That's that's a big deal. That's that's a lot. Tom Welling could do it, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, probably. If you, if you build up to it, sure. Well, he looks like he's built up to it. That's yeah. I, I wasn't sure if that was realistic or not, squatting 400. Yeah, I mean, the most that I've done, and I haven't even been able to get anywhere close to it, but before I had kids, I was so strong. Uh, so strong. No, I, I really was. I was I was lifting heavy for a lot of different things, and like uh, the, the most weight I could do on the leg press was 700 pounds on the inverted leg press, which sounds like somebody's making that up, but I'm not. The most I've been able to do uh, now after having the twins is like 500 and something pounds. I've never been what, able to crack 600. What were you squatting back in the, your very strong days? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, with the Smith machine, it could squat a lot more because you didn't really have to worry about the balance. That one, I was doing, what was it? It was like, I think 175 was around my max. And wow. and my lightest weight that I got down to, like my body weight was like 155. Tom Welling. So I was basically squatting like myself. Tom Welling is twice as strong as you. That's what we're saying. I mean, he, he looks like he got a lot... He has he lots. Of- he got lots. Jimmy's getting <laughs> flustered just talking about he the got, He got lots of muscles. <laughs> he got some muscles. <laughs> well, he's Tom Welling. <laughs> um, I mean, he has to have muscles to be Superman. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, in everything he's played, I mean, he looks like a beast. So uh, still to this day, he looks like he could probably be a quarterback. It's uh, kind of unusual, though, because when you look at him, he doesn't look like... And I know he played a quarterback on Smallville as well, but like... He doesn't really have a quarterback build. Like, quarterbacks are not as big and bulky as Tom Welling is. So it's an interesting choice that they picked him to be the quarterback here. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. But, like, they also say he had weak knees, so maybe this is supposed to be him bulking up in the offseason. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but he, they basically go straight from this scene, and then he's still trying. He's finally now getting to where he was trying to go before we had all that sequence of scenes where he's in the war room, and they're just going over Bo Callahan and... and <laughs> He basically t- tasked them with, I want you to find out what his bedwetting or OCD is. And they come in and they're basically they're basically saying, look, there's an entire website dedicated to how many chicks this guy smashed. <laughs> and uh, they're going back and forth. It's like, how many girls do you think that he sleeps with in a week? And they're, they're literally trying to speculate this. And Kevin Costner loses it on him. And he's basically saying, like, this is what I want. You. They're, they're saying, you know what? No matter what, we're not just joking around. No matter what we look for, this guy is the best prospect we have ever seen. There's no dirt on, there's no nothing. And Kevin Costner says, you know, I want you to look at uh, a bunch of players. They said John Elway was too strong, that he threw the ball too hard, uh, but he turned into John Elway. Peyton Manning didn't have enough strength, he turned into Peyton Manning. Joe Montana was too small, he became Joe Montana. Basically says, look for his weakness. Find something, because we've only got however many hours left to go. Yeah, it's basically looking for any of those red flags. Like, is it something that we can work with and and whatnot, or mm-hmm. is it not, you know? Yeah. 
Uh, and then we cut back to the Seahawks. Uh, and this is where the Seahawks story is uh, going to start turning around because the the GM's very proud of himself that uh, you know he was able to pull off this this heist and get the, all these three future draft picks or whatever, plus the second round draft picks or whatever. But uh, but now he's basically looking out the window and there's protesters because now they've traded away the number one draft pick and Bo Callahan. Uh, they don't understand the whole salary cap thing. The fans, they want, this is what Frank Langell was saying earlier. They want the splash, you know? And I love that they have the, the dummy, which has his name on it. And he just looks at the, his, his co-GM or whatever. It's like, does that look like me? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we get the first of many instances of Kevin Costner pulling Jennifer Garner into the janitor's closet. Um, and this is that, that conversation where he's basically saying, it's like, I'm sorry I didn't respond the way that you thought I should have this morning. That That's such a guy response, by the way. And yeah. like, like, like a good guy response. Yeah, exactly. I mean, cause you've said stuff like that to me before. Yeah. Well, and, and also this movie doesn't show us the beginning. I say it doesn't show them fighting the night before or anything like that. You know, she's already kind of understanding. And he's saying like, you know, I'm not the home Depot dad of the year or whatever. Uh, I'm never going to be that, you know, but you know, I'll, I'll make this work. It's just, I was very caught off guard. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I didn't get all gooey on this and all that. Uh, yeah. but, uh, they go straight from this scene again. He's interrupted again. And this is how quick fire the movie is. You don't even realize how much one scene just is interrupted by the other because they're interrupted in the janitor's closet by intern Rick, where it says Brian Drew sma- uh, smashing your office oh. to pieces or whatever. I just have to interject for one second here. Mm-hmm talking about how I didn't get all gooey and stuff like that. Anybody else who's listening to this, they can, you know, feel free to share their stories with you guys. Not me, because I don't want to talk to you, so talk to Colin. Don't talk to me. But, um... (laughs) Don't talk to me either. (laughs) (laughs) But when I told you I was pregnant with Casper, you were just like, cool. Well, you, like, you, you, I I don't know if this is a, a woman thing or it's just a you thing, but... Basically, it's like, oh, you know, I'm gonna break the news. I can't even remember how you you tried to break the news to me, something like that. I think you 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 showed me like, look what I bought at the store, and it was like a onesie or something like that. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, cool. Like it was no response at all. And it was the same thing with the twins. With the twins, uh, I came home from dropping off dropping off Ben actually at the airport. Yeah. And uh, you decided, okay, I'm gonna wait till Ben leaves. I don't want to spring this when Ben's here. Uh, I, I was pretty sure I was pregnant though. Yeah, I but, but sure. you basically did the same thing where I think you, you did the same thing with like the, the sleeper reveal. Uh, so I dropped Ben off at the airport. I come back. It's not even seven in the morning by the time I'm getting back from oh, dropping oh, off. Oh, no, I remember what it was. I bought Casper a big brother outfit, remember? Yeah. So you're like, look what Casper's wearing. And it says, you know, a world's best big brother or something like that. And I'm like, I'm like, okay. I'm like, do we have something for breakfast? Like, it's literally just transition immediately after. Like, I don't know. Most guys probably don't get all gooey. Maybe they do. I didn't, so yes, I'm definitely Kevin Costner in the scene. And then maybe like two months later, your jaw dropped as we go into the ultrasound room when I'm like just right at seven weeks pregnant and the ultrasound tech, uh, you, they don't show you anything when you're in the room and you couldn't go in the room with me at first. But when when I heard her asking her, her boss, like, which one is A and which one is B? I thought to myself right away, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm literally pregnant with twins. But they can't tell you that, right? And then you came in after and we we saw it all. And it's just like, oh my goodness, what are we in for? But like, I'm uh, like, another thing just to to kind of clear it up. I am like, of of any person I know, I am like the least wowed person. Like, I, I am 
very low response to anything. So when you well, say... I, I think like with fr- frantic, you're not frantic. Yeah, like we have literally been within inches of getting into major car accidents and I'm just like, whoa! And then I immediately move on. Like, Or even I, with the births too. You, yeah, like you I, weren't, I yeah. don't... My, my heart rate rarely rises, you know? Uh, and So when you say my jaw dropped... In comparison, my jaw dropping was basically they said, oh, this is this uh, right here is one heartbeat and this one's the other. My jaw dropping in comparison for me, my jaw dropping was me going, uh, what? Like that, that was it. And then you, it's like, you, okay. You said like a time lord? Yeah. <laughs> like a time lord? It's got two heartbeats? Yeah. So I, I, again, not like typical but, prison jaw but, dropping. But for all of our kids, you were not gushy at all. No. No. I'm still not. Yeah, you weren't. Yeah. It's kind of a joke on this show. I'm not a gooey person. But, uh. They get interrupted in the janitor's closet. Rick saying, Brian Drew smashing up your office or whatever. Uh, and then um, this is where he, Rick has the line. It's like, he told me to have intercourse with my mother. But, oh, that's great. But she passed away, and I didn't want to tell him that. Like, it <laughs> didn't seem like the right time to tell him that. Uh, you go in, and, and this is our first introduction to Tom Welling here, uh, where you walk in the office. Now, again, you've talked up this character so much, and all of a sudden you walk in, and the guy's trashing the office. And this conversation, like... A lot of the, a lot of heated conversations. I love how it's just all business with Kevin Costner, because when he's basically saying it's like you know uh, I want you to trade me because he he realizes I'm not going to be a second string quarterback to Bo Callahan. Yeah, like I've worked too hard for this. And Kevin Costner basically says, if you're upset, call your agent. That's what he's there for. And then as Tom Mullen continues to just get on his case, he basically says, you know. I'm the one who drafted you. He goes, no, no, your dad drafted me. He's like, no, I wasn't working for this team, but my dad wasn't even looking at you until I told him, look at this kids. And then I love when, when he basically says at the end of this argument, he's like, are we finished? And Tom Holland's like, yeah. He goes, uh, or he says, no. He says, well, then get finished. I'm working here. <laughs> I just love that that one response. I'm working here. Like, I've got important things to do. And just yeah, that line. Like, like, I can't babysit you. Get out. <laughs> yeah, and just that one line he has where he's like, if you're upset, call your agent. That's what he's there for. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, he does. We'll find out kind of later on that that actually happened. Um, and then uh, when Kevin Costner goes back to his office, he's trying to get to Jennifer Garner's attention. So he's basically calling her and she just walks away. And I love that he goes up to Rick and he goes, do you think she heard me? And he goes, um, no, I don't think so. Meanwhile, she obviously did. He goes, good answer. And <laughs> Rick's trying to relate to him. He's like, yeah, women, they're like, Rawr! and then Kevin Costner just sort of looks at him and walks away. Like Rick's the most awkward character in this movie. Yeah, he's great. Uh, we, we cut to another team here, the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, so they're calling up Kevin Costner and they're basically saying, it's like, hey, tell me about Brian Drew. And he goes, why are you asking about him? It's like, well, you're going to be trading him, right? And he goes, uh, I, I, we haven't discussed this at all. And this is where you find out, well, when he told him, go call your agent, he obviously did. He was, his agent sent over a video package of him. I just need to know, is he strong? You know, uh, and Kevin Costner doesn't really have the conversation with him. But again, without clearly stating in any scene, Kevin Costner is at least telling the audience here, I'm not looking to trade this guy. Like, he's not settled on Bo Callahan. If you watch this movie, he decided I'm getting the number one draft pick. And obviously, he said, we got to look at Bo Callahan. But at no point does he ever say, I don't want Vontae Mack. I don't want Ray Jennings. And I want to trade Brian Drew. This guy calls. Even when, you got to think, even when um, somebody else called about Vontae Mack later on, uh, he says, hey, he's great. There's nothing wrong with him. He's incredible. But with Brian Drew here, he's protecting him still. So in the back of his head, even though he knows we're going for Bo Callahan, he's like, I can't let this kid go. But he doesn't have to come right out and say, I'm protecting this kid, but he is. Um, there is a point that you brought up that we never actually finished. What's that? When you were talking about the mom spreading the ashes. 
Well, th- that that scene's still coming up. Oh, okay. Uh, you, I, I just okay. Yeah. Never mind. We'll we'll get back. That's what she's there for. But yeah, that big scene's coming up that we'll mm-hmm. talk about. Uh, we never, get never mind. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> uh, we get uh, the 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 one scene between Jennifer Garner and Dennis Leary, uh, and interesting note there is a second scene now this scene is very combative she's basically eating her lunch and again i just love the way she's just like uh he's like hey uh you mind if i sit down she goes um i'm kind of busy here like there's nobody at the table she's like no i'd rather you didn't uh but uh he's basically saying, like you don't you don't seem to be the type of person who gets very excited and of her line here she's like, if we get through the season with spending less than 125 million dollars on salary then i get excited uh but he's basically saying it's like i need you to talk to your boyfriend. And she doesn't want to have any part of this. Like, she's basically saying, it's like, she gets up without eating her lunch. I'm thinking, eat the lunch, eat the lunch, you know? But uh, he's basically saying, listen, he's making a big mistake, and he's kind of stepping over some bounds here by saying, you know, you do the talking. Now, this scene sets it up like these two obviously don't get along, but there is a deleted scene. Probably the one uh, really big deleted scene from this movie comes after this, where... It's not like they get start getting along, but there's more. It's almost like the second half of the scene. The scene was cut because they said it didn't provide you any new information that you didn't already know other than a little bit of backstory. But I personally think if you see that deleted scene, it's interesting to see how they went from being very combative here to basically, you know what? You're not so bad, Dennis Leary. Uh, and you're not so bad, Jennifer Garner. Uh, <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> But uh, the one interesting thing that's lost on the second scene that these two have together is he asks her, well, how did you end up in this job? And she gives the backstory that it was she was basically just a fangirl. She loved football, and she would write letters to Kevin Costner's dad, the coach, basically saying, you should do this, you should do this. He basically wrote back to her and said, how would you like a job? And she ended up working for in the office for the team. So the one thing you miss is finding out that she worked for them. But personally, I kind of like that other scene because you get to see a little bit more of these two working together. That it's not always just it makes it lightens up Dennis Leary's character a bit because he is kind of the jerk of this movie, you know. Uh, even though he's more on the right than I think uh, you would realize. But also in the scene that's kept in the movie where she's eating her lunch. Uh, when he's flashing a Super Bowl ring. And I love how Dennis Leary just continually does that. I got one of these. And he holds his fist up. And he's like, this says that you win. You know, and even here where he's holding up the Super Bowl ring. And she's just like, again, she's a massive Super Bowl fan. And if, Super Bowl fan. She's a massive Super Bowl fan. More than just a Super Bowl She's a massive football fan. But uh, where she's like, why is it that the ultimate prize in the most macho sport is a piece of jewelry? <laughs> and Dennis Leary is just like, she's yeah. Got a point. Yeah, 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 I guess so. <laughs> uh, but... After that scene, we cut back to uh, one of the analysts. Now, this guy, I had to look up what his job is, but he's the chief of security, this guy who keeps talking and, like, you know, ask me, what happened next? You know that guy, right? And, but, like, all those conversations he has with Kevin Costner, the guy who's delivering all this dirt on Bo Callahan, you know the guy I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, so this guy's actually another one of my very favorite characters in this movie, just because he's so weird and so quirky, and I kept trying to put my finger on, like, where do I recognize him from? Do you remember there's something about Mary? Uh, no, it's been a really long time since I've watched that movie. Okay, well, and there's something and about I, Mary. And I only watched it once. We covered it last year. Me and Matt Dyson covered it. Well, not last year, the year before. And in that movie, uh, Cameron Diaz's brother uh, is basically autistic, and he wears like uh, stuff on his e- earphones or whatever on his on his ears because he doesn't like people touching them. People repeatedly go to try to like 
whisper something in his ear or whatever, and he just attacks them and assaults them. Uh, but this is the same guy, completely different role. But uh, I love this guy. Just the way that he 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 talks and it, like such he's dr- over dramatizing everything. And ask me what happened next. And Kevin Costner's like, I don't have time for this. But this guy's job, I guess, is supposed to be he is like the private investigator. He doesn't care about football. He's basically dig up the dirt. And the first bit of dirt he digs up here is uh, Bo Callahan's 21st birthday party. Uh, He's saying, okay, so there was a bit of an incident. A lot of people were arrested. They decided to let everybody go, but they took down everybody's names. And he's asked me whose name was on the list. And he says, any of his teammates, none of them came to his birthday party. So this is going to set up uh, the fact that if they have any dirt on Bo Callahan, it's like maybe something about him rubs people the wrong way, which by the way, we never get to the bottom of, but I think we get to the bottom of just enough. So the next of many phone calls that uh, Kevin Costner takes is from the GM of the Buffalo Bills, the original team that this was supposed to be based around. And this isn't, uh, you know, oh, we want to pick up Brian Drew or anything like that, but they're now looking to make a deal with him. Like, hey, you got the number one draft pick. What if we traded you a couple of players, including this one wide receiver, and, you know, one of our draft picks for next year or something like that, or your number one, number two next year. Kevin Costner is immediately like, oh, he even says, I'm intrigued, you know? But he's like, let me call you back. So he immediately goes to Dennis Leary, and he basically calls him out. He's like, curious that you're pushing for us to pick up Ray Jennings, the running back, and now these guys call and offer me for, you know, a running back or whatever. Uh, and it's kind of a question of, you know, did you call them or did they call you? And he goes, you know, it's really too hard to tell. Yeah, he's, uh, he's like, I, I really can't remember. Yeah. But uh, what's funny is Kevin Costner is like willing to, at first when he's talking to the GM, he's willing to go along with his, you know, that actually doesn't sound like a terrible deal. Uh, when he's talking to Dennis Leary, Dennis Leary, he's very uh, standoffish. And he even says one of the guys I want to trade Castillo. He's, he looks like Tarzan and he plays like Jane. And Dennis Leary has a great line. You think at this point, it's like, oh, Dennis Leary is the bad guy of the movie. And he says, you know, I've got 52 Tarzans in that locker room. I can use a Jane. Uh, now, he admits, yeah, this isn't a bad trade on paper. Let's take a look at it. We'll, you know, run the numbers and all that, and then we'll see where we can go from there. Uh, Frank Langella arrives at the draft. Now, this is interesting. Some of the behind-the-scenes stuff of the movie is that they film this at the real draft, the 2013 draft. And when they're doing this, they couldn't just shut everything down. The NFL is actually filming this draft already, right? ESPN is filming this draft. So they had to have their movie crews working around two other crews that are filming this. And they couldn't just say, all right, so everybody here... crazy because they can't get in their way. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. To coordinate that Mm -hmm. was a nightmare. I mean, you think it would be a nightmare, but I mean, they pull it off effortlessly just from, you know, what you can see on the behind the scenes. And... uh, when they have their actors appear, like uh, on the red carpet or whatever, so when the guy who plays Ray Jennings appears, right? Mm-hmm. Real NFL fans are there, and they know who this guy is, but it's like, okay, but this is supposed to be a fictional character. When Josh Pence appears, and he's supposed to be playing Bo Callahan, you know, you gotta wonder, are the fans that are there gonna respond at all? Or are they being told this is a guy? Frank Langella appears, and whether or not they told the audience before the audience who's crowding outside the... Um, uh, Radio City Music Hall or wherever they film this. Uh, hey, you're going to boo this next guy. But it's great that Frank Langell appears and you actually hear boos as he appears. Uh, because this is such a sports thing. You know, you boo the, the GM. We're going to see the the, uh, the the 
commissioner of the league or of the NFL appear later on, and you hear boos from the crowd. Those are authentic boos. And this is something that's just in sports. Whenever like the the Stanley Cup is awarded or uh, the Super Bowl or whatever, whenever the GM or sorry, the uh, I keep saying GM, the um, commissioner appears, fans will boo because it's just it's 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 a natural response. You boo the people in power, and this is just an owner, so. Of course, the fans are going to be uh, a lot more um, agitated at the business people than the ones who genuinely love the sport. Frank Langella's character is not supposed to know anything about the sport. It's just, it's totally fitting. When they're showing him around, again, filming this at the real draft uh, and the, the the liaison or whatever for the, the Cleveland Browns, like, all right, and this is where all of our people are sitting. And Frank Langella's like, hi, how are you? I'm not sitting here. Like, just such attitude, like yeah. a total owner. Mr. Big Shot. Yeah, which is, again, totally fitting. Uh, but uh, another thing that's interesting about this is that they, they filmed this during the draft. Now, the draft takes place over several days. It's not a one-night thing. You'll get through the first maybe two rounds during the draft, and then they have to go again the second day and then the third day. Uh, now, while they were filming this, the draft really does take place at night, but during the daytime, everything's set up still. So a lot of the scenes that you see, and I thought they filmed a lot of these behind-the-scenes clips when you see like uh, Bo and... Ray sitting at the table, you know, you got Terry Crows and Terry Crows <laughs> and P. Dottie there <laughs> when they're sitting there. <laughs> the knockoff brand. Yeah, exactly. The uh, Walmart brand P. Diddy, P. Dottie. <laughs> <laughs> they had a budget cap. Yeah. Ex- salary cap. S- salary cap. So we got P. Dottie and Terry Crows. <laughs> uh, but uh, they're still filming. I thought they just recreated this area on a soundstage, but they're like, no, we filmed there. But we would do this in the middle of the afternoon when, like, the crowds were low. Or they filmed a lot of other stuff uh, on day two or day three when a lot of the crowd is dispersed, a lot of the media is dispersed. That made it easier for them to film. Um, Kevin Costner goes in to have one of his talks with Jennifer Garner. And this one is uh, where he goes in and he says, you know, uh, can we just talk football? Like, nothing else. And she's just immediately into it. He brings up the 89 Super Bowl. Now, subtle things in the script that I love. He tells – or she's basically talking about the the Super Bowl, you know, oh, oh yeah, the these teams were playing, this team was down too much, uh, it, it, it was this close going into the, the final few minutes or whatever. She's looking from a football point of view. And then Kevin Costner basically says, while they're going into the final huddle or the huddle close to the end of the game, Joe Montana just – turns, looks at the stands, and he sees John Candy, and he just turns to the rest of the players and says, hey, is that John Candy? And then he talks about how the team just suddenly was at ease, you know? Mm-hmm. And this just seems like he's telling a fun story, and they're showing real footage of Joe Montana, like, is that John Candy? You know, which is cool, they're using real football in there. But what's important about this is it's showing you uh, Kevin Costner's character's mindset, uh, especially now going into this section of the movie where he he's thinking it's not about making a splash. I need a guy who's going to calm the team, which is yeah. we're going to start to get more things revealed about Bo Callahan that without the movie just clearly coming out and saying, this guy's trash, you know, he's terrible. It's like, he's a good player, but is he right for this team? Is he right for any team could be a question, but is he right for this team? I just love the way that scene just has him telling this casual story and it shows he's focusing more on morale and he's focusing more on who could be a leader. Yeah, and I mean, I like the way that they handled his story through the movie that it it really kind of unfurled bit by bit. You didn't know for sure what was going to happen and what they would find out about this guy and then they would say something, you'd be like, hmm, that's interesting. And then it would move on to the next thing. 
Yeah, and, and you're just meant to fill in the gaps. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I feel like this movie has a lot of rewatchability. Because uh, I kind of look for that in movies. You know, you, if you get a movie once, uh, you get the majority of the story. This isn't a complicated movie. But when you watch it a second time or a third time, you start to pick up on these little things. Uh, like the the shift in Kevin Costner's character, what he's looking at. Mm-hmm. Now, as soon as he comes out of this conversation, this is how you know this conversation is really revealing what he's now thinking he wants to do it, it, that it's not just about the football part it's about the morale part and all that well, of course because i mean they have to like they want people that are talented that can play football and everything and win but got to remember i mean they also have to live with these people and manage these people and if they're a nightmare but they're like a you know superstar player they're probably not going to want to manage them. And this movie never tries to make Bo Callahan the villain where it's no. like, oh, he's going to be difficult. In fact, if anything, they show he's eager to please, but he's eager to please his bosses. You know, we're going to get a little bit on that in a second with Sam Elliott's cameo here, which by the way, Sam Elliott's got like near top billing in this movie. He's on the poster, but like he has one scene and my, it's two minutes long. My mom loves him. We talked about like everybody's mom loves Sam Elliott. I mean, I don't know. Did your mom love him too? Uh, you know, I don't remember how, if my mom really loved Sam Elliott. I mean, I'm sure she appreciated him as an actor, but I don't know if my mom was in love with Sam Elliott as much as she was, you know, s- some other celebrities. Like, I mean, my mom's big ones were George Clooney and Eric Bana. Uh, Sam Elliott, you know, I'm sure as an older guy, like, kind of like Sean Connery. My mom loved Sean Connery more when he got old and gray than she did when he was James Bond. <laughs> Sorry, I tooted. You feel the need to bring this up on the episode? This is why this is why we're not winning awards for the Oz Network. Well, I'm sitting right beside you. You're probably gonna smell it. Well, if, if we suddenly take a pause because I have to gag, then we know that I did. Well, maybe I just got too excited by thinking about uh, what is it, Sam, Sam Elliott? Yeah, I got I mean, too excited. Is, is is he is he you know a, a nice looking older man to you? Like, what do you think of Sam Elliott? Like I don't, I don't think he's not handsome, but I'm not really into that type of mustache on guys ever. It Just ma- Henry Cavill, right? You know, the, that guy honestly could have like pink hair and he would be just as attractive. But no, no, it's just that mustache doesn't really work on anybody. Even on him, it's it's he probably should shave it off, Henry. Just shave it off. No, Mission, no. Mission Impossible tickle me mustache. No, no, no tickle me mustache. That's okay. Well, you've had a change in tune since Mission Impossible Fallout came out. Well, I'm just trying to be more appropriate <laughs> as I talk about tooting. <laughs> I'm trying to be more appropriate. Sorry, I tooted. <laughs> just thought everybody should know. Well, excuse me. I grew up. Excuse in a, you is right. I grew up in a house with seven brothers, no sisters, and I have three sons. Yeah. Well, I mean, they toot a lot too. Everybody, everybody toots, right? Oh my goodness, Casper has the best toots. Even, even just today when we were taking a Why tour, are we talking about this. It's just a small thing. Even today when we were taking a tour of his new school, and he he was running around in the gym there uh, that he's never seen before. Uh, he was doing these like long strides with sprinting, and every single time I heard him go. <laughs> Sorry, I, I spit on you. Sorry. I was going to say, let's flash back to 13 going on 30, where you're calling me out for spitting on you because I was getting too excited. And now here we are on draft day. I said on that episode, Jamie, you spit on me more than any human being has ever spat on somebody before. You proved it here. You spit on me. Okay, well, not like disrespectfully, like I hate you. <laughs> Still, it's not it's not pleasant. You're tooting on me. You're spitting on me. Well, I'm not tooting on you. I'm just tooting beside you. I'm sitting on the same couch. People have the visual of you just squatting right in my face and ripping one. 
I mean, I'm not going to lie. We've, we've both done that to each other. But when you're married for so long, I mean, it's just what happens. This November will we, this November will be married 10 years. And this year, we've been together 15 years. Can, can, can we just flash back, I don't know, two minutes ago when you're like, I, I'm just trying to be more appropriate. <laughs> well, I just mean like when ta- talking about like other people. Okay. <laughs> Let's... Because as attractive as anybody else may be, you're the most handsome man in the world. Even when I spit on you or you toot on me. That's right. All right. Let's um, get back to the movie here. Get get back on course. You get back on course. I'm not the one who took a five-minute side bear on tooting. Well, you probably, you know, you probably were going to smell it. I was trying to give you a heads up. (laughs) I didn't, though. (laughs) And I could have edited it out, but you decided to make this a topic of conversation. Well, if I have to toot more, I'll try to... Bend your way so you can smell it. <laughs> no, okay, let's get back to the movie. Um, so he comes out of this conversation and uh, he, he basically says to his war room, okay, it's going to be a no to Buffalo. Now let's move on. And again, Dennis Leary, like this is what's great. Dennis Leary, uh, what's great about the, the his whole character is that he's really pushing his agenda. But when yeah. he says no, he's just like, fine, I, I think you're wrong, but let's move on. You know what I really love? My favorite part of this whole type of thing in the war room stuff is when he's like, you pay me this much, you know, million a year or whatever to coach this team. Don't you think you should have told me? And he's like, no. Yeah, well, again, that's not his job. Such, such a great line. Yeah, and, and that's another thing with Dennis Leary's character is that, uh, you know, he's constantly flaunting, I want a Super Bowl. But like Kevin Costner says, you took over a team who won a Super Bowl and you ran it into the ground, you know? Yeah, yeah. you tanked it. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, is he a great coach? We don't know. But, I mean, they don't really make anybody a villain in this movie. But he immediately says, I want to look at the footage from the game where Vontae played against Bo. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, I want to look at the first time that Vontae sacks him. And he shows it. And then everybody in the room, even Dennis Dennis Leary, is even like, I got to give it to him. That was really good. He goes, all right, now let's watch what happens next. And you see Bo trying to throw a pass. And he kind of gets flustered so he's like all right let's go to the next one sacks him again he's like he's getting flustered again so like let's go to the last touchdown where he won this game so Bo throws a touchdown he wins the game or whatever and they're like okay what did you not notice on the field and they're like well there's no Vontae you know okay so what happened with him well he got ejected from the game so this is where they rewind and they see uh where Vontae intercepted and ended up running the ball all the way to the end zone scored a touchdown gave the ball as they say to just some girl showing off to some girl in the stands and this is where he says that wasn't some girl that was a sister and she died six months later are, everybody are they, are they not allowed to do that like to give people I, the ball i think it, they're saying in college football you can't again i don't i'm not an expert enough on football i mean i'm sure people have done it in the nfl yeah. but uh yeah in college football they're saying this is a rule or whatever okay. but everybody has that moment where they're like hmm wow and then dennis leary Boo freaking who? <laughs> you mean Dennis Leary? Dennis Leary. Here you go. Boo freaking who? Uh, Kevin Costner goes back into the closet with Jennifer Garner. This is where she has the, or he says the the, the whole not a secret thing. Um, they come out, and this is where that that security guy tells the story about the planet. Okay, so I got another uh, Bo Callan story, and Kevin Costner's upset at him first. You hung me out to dry with the last one because uh, I don't think we mentioned this here. We had the Sam Elliott scene uh, in between here, uh, where. He confronted him and he says, all right, so tell me, why did nobody come to Bo's birthday? And Sam Elliott gets upset with him. And this is why I say 
Bo Callahan's not a bad player. In fact, if anything, he's too eager to please his bosses, the higher up, that he doesn't care enough about the team. Yeah. Because Sam Elliott is so defensive here. Yeah. Says, okay, what's more likely that nobody showed up to his birthday or that they realized, you know, I don't want to ruin this team and all these kids' lives over a stupid incident or whatever the police got involved in. Now, do you believe Sam Elliott's side of the story? Because they never do quite resolve. I think, in my mind, they resolve the whole birthday thing, which we'll get to uh, a little bit later on. But uh, I think, in my mind, it's actually resolved before uh, we get to it later on, during the Sam Elliott conversation. But what's your takeaway from this? Like, is this just a story that kind of tipped them off to, maybe there's something not right about Bo, but the play- did the players come to his birthday party or not? Uh, I'm going to say that I probably don't think that they did. I don't think he's a team player. I, I, agree. I I'm not saying that he's a bad person or anything like that. I just think that he's somebody that keeps to himself and that's just the way he is. The reason I think that there is evidence, again, I love subtlety in movies. The reason I think there's evidence in a subtle way that this story is true and that Sam Elliott is just defending the guy that he believes is like, this is the perfect player, yeah. but he's looking at it as a coach. He's looking at it, you know, from an office perspective is because the security guy basically said earlier on, I dug up this information and Bo Callahan was arrested and all the people at his party were arrested and they took down names. Then Sam Elliott tries to say, oh, well, they didn't want to ruin everybody's, you know, chances and future. Except so they, for that one guy. So why, if they if they took down Bo Callahan's name, why would they not, to, if this did happen, they came to the birthday party, yeah. it shows you even more about Bo because the police decided to take down his name, which Kevin Costner should have responded. But I actually think it's better in the movie. He doesn't respond to that. Uh, but now the, the security guy, his second story is basically talking about the playbook story where he, basically as it goes, and this is semi-based on truth, which I'll, I'll explain the true story in a second, but semi-based on truth. But the, the story in this movie is that uh, scouts or whatever decide, you know, when they're players in high school or whatever, that they want to send their playbooks to prospective people before they, they, try to lure them in with a scholarship to their college. And it's something that's very common. They always send the playbook. And they said this this one uh, rep or whatever, this one scout decided he, he wanted to do something he's always done, which is that he tapes a $100 bill to a certain page in the playbook. Oh, then they, they said at the back of the playbook. Yeah. yeah. And, and the whole idea is that, okay, this is a way to tell if they actually did it. Yeah. Now he said, uh, when he talked to Bo, uh, he asked him, okay, so what did you think of the playbook? Oh, it was great. You know, read it front to back. And he goes, oh, okay, you know, what about the $100 bill? And Bo didn't know. And Kevin Costner is immediately thinking like, you know, okay, well, so what? A lot of people don't read playbooks. He goes, that's right. Um, the fact is though, is that whenever he's encountered other people, which comes up all the time, you always encounter people where it's like, oh, but you didn't notice the $100 bill? He says, anybody will always fess up to it and say, oh, you got me there. It's like, Bo Callahan was the only person he, who had the balls to not only lie, but then to back up his lie. Oh yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. That was really funny. Uh, and, and I love the way he ends the scene. Again, just how dramatic this guy is with everything. Ask me what happened next, you know? Yeah. And then the way that he finishes off by saying, he said this was the second uh, weirdest response he's ever gotten to this playbook story. Uh, do you want to know who the 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 most uh, odd response is? And he says it was uh, it was Vontae Mack. Or, oh, no, it was Brian Drew. Yeah. So their current quarterback is Brian Drew mailed the playbook back to them with the $100 bill or mailed the $100 bill back and said, uh, you know, you, you'll, you can give this to me when I win the Super Bowl. Yeah. So now they've really set up. Brian Drew is an honest guy. And this is what Kevin Costner, again, subtly is, is being revealed that he's looking for. 
but it's it's such a fantastic scene. I just love this guy that, telling his stories and everything. Uh, now, the real story this is based on is apparently this is something that, that I don't remember which team it was do this, but they'll do the pull playbook uh, thing, but it's a little bit different. They don't tape the $100 bill. The real story was about, um, I guess, a coach or one of the offensive or defensive coordinators or something like that on an NFL team who basically theorized or was pretty positive that the the tapes that they will give the players, okay, I want you to review this footage, I want you to review this, that there was one guy on the team who just was never watching these. So he played a trick one day, or I guess tried to find a way to call him out, where he would always send the tapes with real footage, and the guy would always say, oh yeah, I watched it, you know, I, I learned a lot, thanks. One day he decided to send a blank cassette to this player to kind of check and see are you actually watching this and then the guy the next day says oh yeah i watched all that footage it was really good that's the real story behind this it, it is an incident that's used to uh, i guess kind of trap these people entrapment or whatever uh not so much but i love this hundred dollar bill story in here again it's just setting up the characters here but from this we go into the uh the, uh, the houston texans i think it is i don't know enough about the nfl to know all the team's names but the texans uh, are now calling about vonte and Kevin Costner's surprised, like, what do you want to know about Vontae? And this is where they're saying it's like, you didn't expect him to go undrafted. Like, you know, they have the number 15 pick. So Kevin Costner gets protective of him here. And this, again, the next clue as to the fact that he wants to maybe and still go with Vontae Mack, even though this is a guy who's probably going to go 15 at best. He doesn't really give them much of a response here. Then we go into the scene with his mom. This is one you wanted to talk about with his mom and his ex. And this is where they want to spread the ashes on the practice field. Uh, and uh, I love the mom and the ex are basically saying, like, you look terrible. And the ex is like, yeah, you really do. <laughs> and then the mom is very condescending to Jennifer Garner. Like, she obviously knows that there's something going on. Between them. How you doing, Amy? Like, getting her name wrong. And Kevin Costner is very defensive of her. Uh, and uh, he's basically refusing to spread the ashes. Now, you were very harsh on the mom here. Uh, are you still standing by that? Yeah. Okay, so this is where I'll disagree I, with you. Like, she she could have... I mean, her his dad died last week. And yeah, I mean, I know it takes a couple of days to arrange stuff and everything. Like, for, for funerals and people getting cremated and all this type of stuff. It's not like an instantaneous thing the day of, you know, the death. But could she not have discussed this with him... Uh, prior to the draft happening and also because again his dad had to go through uh the drafts and stuff like that for god knows how many years and so she would be used to this stuff and you would think that she would understand okay but the father's dying wish was that he wanted his ashes spread on his practice field uh-huh. he obviously also wanted certain people who, she's basically saying you need to read this poem so these are these aren't things she would just come up with she even said a gaelic poem your father picked or something like that so the dad had his wishes now this is during the off season and when kevin costa refuses to go out and do this because he's so busy you see everybody else go out on the field you see all the other office people all the other coaches you have every player there going out on the field and he's the only one who doesn't. Now, this is why I say I side with the mom because if she, if it was the dad's wishes to do this and he wanted all these people there, during the off season, when else are you going to have everybody there? There's basically only draft day. So it's, it's do it now or wait until, what, well, I, I guess October? Every, I guess everybody is there for the draft. Yeah, so so I'll side with her. and We're, we're looking at five minutes and he's taken enough five-minute breaks to the, the closet with Jennifer Garner. I mean, he could give I, his... 
I think that's how she got pregnant in the closet. <laughs> she definitely got knocked up in the closet. Yeah. Uh, we we have him trashing a laptop here when he's getting upset. Uh, we get uh, the reveal of him firing his dad because this has been a thing throughout the movie. His dad was the coach. He fired his dad. He basically explains that he fired his dad because his mom said, if he keeps this up, he's going to die. So he didn't want to. He basically did it for his mom. Um, Rick comes in and sees this broken laptop. Somebody destroyed my laptop. And this is the first time Kevin Costner is like, you know, a nice guy. He's like, I did that, you know, and he's like, why would you do that? It's like, I lost my temper. We'll get you a new laptop. We'll get you a better laptop. Now, Rick's basically saying, he's like, my entire life was on here. Now, this is where I'll call out Rick for being a bit of a baby. And again, I'm not saying it's all right for a boss to destroy a personal property, but he's saying like, it, like, oh, it's all over. The screen is broken on this laptop. There is no way the hard drive is, is wrecked. And maybe it is wrecked, but we haven't had a chance to check it yet. I mean, take out the hard drive. You know, hook it up and see if there's anything on there. I mean, this laptop is not completely destroyed. So it's not like when he says, I lost my life or whatever on this, that's a little bit overdramatic. Um, the, he, Kevin Costner, I love that he even refers to him and said, you, You've been a real soldier today. You don't deserve this. Like, he's a very nice guy. Uh, we have Bo and Ray arriving at the draft. We have uh, the phone call uh, with Kevin Costner where he asks him about the birthday party story. So, again, we've already said we believe this birthday party story is true. When he's on the phone and he just asks him, first of all, P. Dotty passes off the phone. That's right. Great value brand. <laughs> value brand P. Diddy. Passes off the phone to Bo. And he asks him, I just have one question for you and I just want you to be honest with me. Did your teammates come to your birthday? And he says, you know, I got to be honest with you. I can't remember anything that happened that night. And he goes, well, I don't remember my party either. Again, they, he doesn't feel the need to ever state it in the movie. The guy's lying to me. Like, what a liar. That's the subtlety I love in this movie. He's really not, like, um, what's the word? He's not confrontational about it. He plays yeah. it very cool. Yeah, like, because he's like, a professional. He's not, uh, he doesn't come off, like, accusing or saying, he doesn't even say anything negative. He basically says, like, the same type of thing. Like, I can't remember it either. But but he's gotten the information he needs. But the reveal to the audience isn't that he denies this. And we already have had it set up where uh, what your question is guy on his honesty, right? The reveal to the audience is something Kevin Costner doesn't even realize because when he hangs up the phone and, and value brand P. Diddy decides to say him, what did he ask you? Bose just shrugs off. Oh, nothing. Like somebody who was being honest about that would say, oh, something about my birthday party. But honestly, he doesn't even want to address it. Like that's a guy who knows, oh, I'm caught now. That's it. Um, we have a couple of shots where they go back and the mom's still waiting, uh, not waiting for him to spread the ashes, but he's on the field. Uh, Jennifer Garner has another uh, football story here where she's trying to give him pep talk because he's saying, I don't know what to do. And Kevin Costner said, I haven't had a chance to build my team yet. I've been here for two years. The first year, it was my dad's team. The last year, you know, everything happened with my dad. So it was uh, too dramatic. He's like, I just want to build a team. I want to build my team. And she tells this story about uh, some guy who got drafted really high in the draft. He goes, nobody was looking at Tom Brady when he got drafted 199th. And this is just a story to show like people who go on to become one of the biggest stars in the sports, you know, they don't always get drafted right away. Yeah. Uh, and she basically passes him the note. Now the note still hasn't been revealed to the audience. Now I remember seeing this movie for the first time and 100% believing from the moment that note was introduced until the point where he opens it up like in the next scene that this was like him writing down baby names or something like that which would have been a terrible way to go in the movie i love that this again isn't about the child but they actually zoom in on i don't know if you noticed that but you probably did because you know what you notice everything but uh 
at one point when his office is trashed and everything, it zooms in on, you know, kind of the chaos and everything in there. And you see that note crumpled up on the floor and they zoom in on the outside of the note. So, like, again, you don't see what the note says yet. This mm-hmm. is earlier in the movie. But you see, oh, this is something important. Yeah. And and now we finally get to the draft where it's going to be revealed. What does it say on there? Uh, so this is the entire premise of the movie. What they wanted to make was just the draft itself. And, um, of course, we get the commissioner being booed, like I said. Uh, we get uh, little shots of everybody. Again, all filmed on the spot. But all these shots of everybody who's there. Uh, Frank Langella and, um, you know, Josh Pence and P. Dottie and everybody. Uh, and the commentators really helped tell the story here. Because if you're not familiar with the draft, even if you're you're thinking, well, a lot of this movie seems far-fetched. They start to tell real stories like when they uh, Jennifer Garner was talking about Tom Brady being drafted 199th and they mentioned like the 2003 Vikings and the 2011 Ravens about how there is like this element of the clock is ticking if you miss your shot somebody jumps over you and then you got to wait uh so you realize from this point on when they say oh we've got 10 minutes we're on the clock now that sometimes people have screwed this up so yeah. it, it brings a little bit of suspense to it and, and it sounds like it'd be a lot but 10 minutes is nothing well, especially because you don't know. I mean, you you have an idea. And the way these drafts work is everybody kind of has an idea. Okay, this team means like, for example, if analysts were looking at this team, they would probably say, hey, there's reports that the scouts have been doing a lot of talking to Vontae Mack. You know, or a lot of people from the Browns have been at Vontae's games. They probably realize, okay, they're in the market for a defensive player. And they're also in desperate need of a running back, yeah. which is why a lot of these other GMs going back and forth throughout this movie, they kind of know, oh, you're probably picking this guy. And uh, later on, we're going to get people saying, oh, they took my pick and it's a surprise. They even have other GMs saying, well, if it goes the way we expect, we know these next two teams will pick their regular expected players. Because you you have an idea. I think more so in football, I kind of wonder to myself, could you have done this movie with hockey? And I don't think so, because hockey, what do you have? You have offensive players you have defensive players and you have goalies now it's not to say that you're only going to look at that i mean sometimes you're going to look at an offensive player who is uh, a bruiser who's going to really push the other teams around and and you know help you physically to to maintain control of the game whereas sometimes you're looking for a score sometimes you're looking for somebody for assists but you still only have those few positions i love with this being football is that there's so many different positions so it's it's a lot more strategic if somebody does take your pick you're scrambling but and all these teams are prepared for that but that's how the clock can somehow run run down on them uh when kevin coster walks in and they're basically saying hey like what are you doing like we're we're about to be on the clock here like the, the the draft is starting we have to send in our pick. That's the tradition. He says, I already sent it in. When we start winning again, we'll go back to the old tradition. Uh, but this is him saying, I just want to do it myself. Uh, and I love when this is revealed, when when the pick is called in, and you have all the people going, okay, okay. They're writing it down and they're delivering it up to you. The commentator is basically saying something about like, the pick is being brandished by some walkie-talkie man. <laughs> like that's the way you describe walkie-talkie men. Um, when they reveal the pick, again, it's very dramatic. Uh, you're expecting Bo Callahan. I mean, the audience probably is in this point. But they basically say, the number one draft pick for the 2014 draft, Vontae Mack. And everybody's jaws dropped. And people boo in the arena because this isn't the guy they expected. And it would be like if you had Connor McDavid not going number one, you know? But then even more so, you're picking a guy that you they thought, best case scenario, will be picked number seven. But realistically, now that the Browns don't have the number seven pick, somebody's going to pick him up at 15. This isn't what the fans wanted. They wanted the excitement, you know? Yeah. And 
then they cut to Chadwick Boseman's reaction, and his reaction again just shows why he was like a once in a lifetime talent. Like this is a guy who has not had a single scene in the movie with anybody. He's done the phone. There's a couple of people at his house. I think his agent is there who has one line, and otherwise. He's by himself, and just his reaction, like, you get what a big deal this is. Even though everybody's booing, like, you're rooting for this guy. Uh, you have Tom Welling's reaction after this with his wife watching because they're they're expecting, well, they're obviously picking up Bo, and then you have them celebrating. Then you have Frank Langella just throwing the jersey that he had made up and just throwing a tantrum. Uh, and everybody in the war room is just screaming, like, what are you doing? Like, we planned for this. You know, uh, we put all of our time into it. You just gave away the number one draft pick. And then all Kevin Costner does is he just drops his note and walks out of the room. And then that's when they zoom in on the note that just says Vontae no matter what. That's what he wrote down at the beginning of the day before he even realized he was going to have the number one draft pick. And there's still more to come from here. Uh, You have... The team was relieved when he chose him too because Brian Drew was so happy about that because then he he knew, hey, I'm not actually going to get replaced. But like this movie, it it has it so that the audience is excited... Because you get Chadwick Boseman's reaction, you get Tom Welling's reaction, you get Kevin Costner not really saying anything, but he that note shows you this is what he wanted, and everybody else getting upset. You, the audience at least knows there's more drama to come, and that's what's so great about this movie is it. It's not like they just pick the number one pick and it's over. Like the biggest drama still to come. Bo Callahan storms out and starts freaking out, and and P Diddy comes out and basically starts telling him like you can't act like this, like. You're sometimes I told you that things like this could happen. You know, even Connor McDavid could have been passed over or whatever. You need to go back in there, not panic, and just wait and see what happens. Kevin Costner's excused himself. He basically calls Vonte, who's in tears, and he's congratulating him and saying, you know, you're I need you to get down here immediately. You know, we're gonna have a press conference. When he goes back in the room, again, even I remember watching this the first time thinking, like, well, what else is there to this movie? And then you go in and after being gone for a couple minutes, all they say to him is, Bo's dropping. Like, he's dropping in the draft. He didn't even go... You're... Everybody's assuming he's going to go... If he didn't go number one, he's going number two. Like, we're up to number four. And he hasn't been picked. And this is where all the strategy comes in this movie, which is the best section of the movie, uh, where they start figuring, okay, well, the other two, number two and number three, didn't pick him. They picked their expected picks. Now, the biggest draft pick in history is gone to number four, they're thinking he's probably not going to go number four. They're going to go with their regular pick. Or if he doesn't go number four, then what happens? So this is where it really sets up. Easiest way to just explain is number five is going to be a rookie GM from Jacksonville. Number seven, we already know, is um, the, the Seahawks guy who would love to get Callahan. They just couldn't factor him into their, their, cap, uh, their salary cap. So Kevin Coster comes up with the plan... Uh, and he's being called, or he he calls the Jacksonville guy, who's freaking out. And I love this this guy, the Jacksonville GM, because they establish he's a rookie. Yeah. And then again, without making it too over the top, they just show minor rookie mistakes. Like he is panicking, and he goes, "You got to tell me, like what what is going on? What is wrong with Bo Callahan?" And Kevin Coster, being the poker player, being a GM who's been doing this forever, is like, "Nothing's wrong with him. He's the best prospect ever. He's playing coy until he's like he realizes." This isn't going to sound like I'm feeding him a line. He says, I think he's a bust. It's a gut feeling. So he just starts playing this guy saying, you know, here, here's an idea. You don't necessarily want Callahan. Why don't you make a trade with me? You give me this and I will give you uh, this next year. Give me your number five draft pick. 
he offers them all of his draft picks or whatever next year. Now everybody's freaking out. Then now you're giving away all the rest of our number two draft picks or whatever. Uh, and the guy, this is where the rookie mistake comes in with the, the, the GM here is that when Kevin Costner is negotiating with him, he tries to hardball him and say, no, no, I want, I want this as well. And, uh, Kevin Costner is basically saying, nope, not happening. Make a decision now. Uh, and I even love the, the, the line that this GM says, uh, when he first offers him, uh, you know, give me your number five draft pick now. Or he goes, uh, that sounds awesome. What am I, a jerk? Uh, but, uh, eventually they make this deal. So now Kevin Costner's got the number five pick. So he's back on the board only four spots later. Uh, and, uh, Dennis Leary is even more upset because now he's traded around three years and two rounds. The number two and the number one draft picks for three straight years are gone. And he says, I quit. Kevin Costner says, don't quit. Let me do my job, see what I'm doing, and then you can quit. Now, something that's a little bit unrealistic is we are, what now, 30 minutes later, if we're, we're going on the clock, because Frank Langella stormed out of Radio City Music Hall after they picked number one. Number two, number three, and number four have gone. He walks in the room before they're ready to pick number five. And he basically had to fly to Cleveland from New York, which is completely impossible, I'm going to say, even on a private jet. Yeah, I have honestly no idea how he seemed to time travel, really. <laughs> how is that possible, even by private jet? Seriously, half hour? Come on. I don't know how long it would take by plane from Cleveland. I know it's not a 30-minute 30, 30 flight. Uh, but Frank Langell is obviously upset. I, think, and, I know people that can't even take a dump in 30 minutes. <laughs> I mean, they, they could toot a lot in 30 minutes. <laughs> yes, Jamie. <laughs> I'm trying to be more mature. That was a raspberry with my mouth. I did not fart into the microphone. Well, I'm glad because otherwise I'd be smelling it, right? Uh, Frank Langella goes from being really upset to suddenly realizing, wait, we have the number five draft pick now. And he's like, wait, we can still get Bo Callahan? And it never even gets mentioned again. All he wants is Bo Callahan. Yeah. So, and he, he, like you said, he literally has no idea about football. Yeah. It's just he knows that that's like a, a splash. It's going to sell tickets. It's going to sell merchandise. I mean, and in all fairness, like, what else should he care about? I mean, he he's the guy who's funding this all. Does he want to lose money? Like, yeah. he, yes, he's one of the close things to a villain in this movie. And the other guy who's one of the close things to a villain of this movie is the Seahawks GM, who's suddenly on the phone with Kevin Costner. And he's like, yeah. well, I got to thank you, you know? Uh, I look like a fool all day, and now I'm going to get the number one draft pick, Bo Callahan, at number seven. And you came out trading away your entire future, and all you got was the guy you could have had at number seven. And then he drops the bombshell. Is like, well, guess what? Jacksonville doesn't have number five. I have number five, and he, or I think it's number six. He has, and so now he's one spot ahead of Seattle, and now he's negotiating. And of course, this is the one time where the movie can kind of stick it to the villain or whatever. He basically says, "I want all of my number ones back." Uh, and he's like, no, no, I can't do that. I'm going to look like an idiot. And he's saying, you know what? You could come away with the quarterback of your dreams for $7 million less. And then his, his, uh, you know, right-hand man or whatever, his Jennifer Garner says, that's going to solve our salary cap issue. Uh, he, Kevin Costner's even taunting him saying like, I know the people are calling for your head there. Uh, make a decision. He takes too long. So Kevin Costner, again, playing the GM, playing, you know, a, a, a bluff here, decides when he says, okay, let's do it. He goes, no, 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 that offer's off the table. We're living in a different world than we were two minutes ago, yeah. playing on the, the line he had earlier on. And now he's asking everybody in the room, what else do we need? What else can we get? And Jennifer Garner mentions like, oh, we need uh, you know a kick return or a punt return or whatever. So they mentioned, oh, yeah, and I want Putney or whatever, <laughs> just because I feel like like that's that's the big cheer moment. It's like, and I want Putney just because I feel like it. Yeah, exactly. Without the F word. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't remember if he said that there, but yes, yeah, he, he, he he's very animated about just because I feel like it. Uh, he says, make this deal, you get Bo, uh, 
uh, and you know, I get all my draft picks back. So he's reversed the whole situation. Now I'm sure that there is no way this has ever happened draft, but is it possible? Yeah, I'm sure it's possible. I'm sure that you know, all of this is plausible. Yeah. They're really trying to show some of the most dramatic situations. Yeah, you, know, as, you know, it's dramatized for the movies for sure. Yeah, but again, in all fairness, all these things that happen in the movie, the commentators are telling us this happened in this year's draft. This happened. Yeah. It's just they're condensing maybe the four or five most dramatic things that ever happened in a draft yeah. into one night with one team, which yeah. is for a movie. It's entertainment. You know, I'm fine with that. As somebody who doesn't know, you know, how the NFL draft works, I'm fine with that. Uh, basically, what's going to happen with this is they get. Uh, they they uh they swap places. So now the Seahawks get number six because he basically threatened, I'm gonna take Bo Callahan unless you make this trade. Seahawks get Bo Callahan for seven million dollars less or whatever, and now he gets his number seven pick back, and he gets Ray Jennings. So now they get both players that they wanted. And he has that line to uh, as everybody's cheering, you know, uh, do you still want to quit? To Dennis Larry he goes, no, I think this is a team I can coach. Um, so he lets him call Jennings. And, and th- this is another thing I like because we had a relationship between Terry Crows <laughs> and uh, his son and Kevin Costner. But we know that Dennis Leary, who's the villain of this movie or one of the villains, has been the one pushing for this guy. And they let him have it. They're like, you make the call. Uh, and, and we get to see the, the side of that conversation too. So everybody kind of gets this happy ending. Um, and... Uh, they uh, they have a little bit of narration here where they talk about you know uh, the the commentary saying he had one pick he sprinkled it with fairy dust wished upon a star turned it into three impactful players and now he has his team he can coach for uh, they, they have a quick rundown in the press conference of all the players they have this is where they welcome Ray they welcome Vonte uh, and the uh, the mom is still waiting at the end after everything's over and. They're not spreading the ashes, but this is where he basically have the makeup with his mom. And uh, he basically says, yeah, we're having a baby. And she's excited. She calls her by the right name. And then we flash forward to the season opener where you see Brian Drew, Tom Welling with Chadwick Boseman, Vontae Mack, with uh, the guy who plays Ray Jennings, <laughs> with everybody, Dennis Leary. Uh, and you just fade out. And uh, Frank Langella, of course, has that line where uh, they're interviewing him afterwards. He goes, you know, I can't – I, I – I, I can't take all the credit, but I will. Uh, and I just want to also add, I love the score. I know I mentioned this to you, but I love the score in this movie. Like yeah, it, it's good. It, it's, it's, it's a business side of sports movie, so it's not going to have a Remember the Titans size score, but it's still such a great football score. But uh, this entire last section, I mean, so much happens. I mean, if somebody hasn't watched the movie in a long time, rewatch it because it is so quick fire and it's so entertaining. Uh, and it really is, even though it's a business side movie, this is, I feel, just as uplifting and just as exciting as what you would get if you're watching a movie of people scoring the final touchdown at the end of the Super Bowl, you know? Jamie walked away to toot. Is that what you did? No, sorry. I was just putting my coffee cup away. It, okay. I didn't want to kick it over. I made myself a latte earlier. You have anything to add about the ending of the movie? Everything? I really like the movie, but you know that already. Well, I'm glad you came on here to recap to say you I, liked it. I was going to say, you know, I'd buy it, but we already did. Well, I mean, I bought it, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you bought it. Yeah, I'm sticking with that. Uh, there we go. We got the reviews out of the way. Um, one other thing I just want to say as we're kind of wrapping this up, uh, before we get into, like, the final reviews and everything is, you know, Kevin Costner, he, I think there's certain things he's good at, and I don't know if there's any other actor out there who knows their multiple genres, knows their genres so well. Kevin Costner could have just been the 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 guy who was a Western guy because he kind of made his break with a movie called Silverado in the 80s and then he had Dances with Wolves. 
you know, he had open range after that. I mean, you could even argue and say that, like, The Postman, uh, which is a movie that was heavily panned, which I don't think is that bad, uh, is kind of a Western thing. He has this new show, Yellowstone, very Western. Like, he always goes back to Westerns. But I don't know how many people really think about the fact that, like, just as much as he is the Western guy, he is the sports guy. He had Bull Durham and Field of Dreams back-to-back in the 80s. He had Tin Cup and For Love of the Game in the 90s. He had McFarland, a movie that I love, where he plays a, a track and field coach uh, a couple years ago as well. And he had this. I mean, you're talking about a half a dozen sports films that he is he's known for sports movies as much as he's known for westerns. And I think very few actors, Clint Eastwood, you might say, is one of the other few ones where he would do like a, a, a police drama like Dirty Harry or whatever. And then he might also be the western guy. But like very few people get two genres that they're synonymous for. And I mean, Kevin Costner, he, he hits out of the ball out of the park. I shouldn't say ball out of the park. I mean, that's too obvious of a, a pun there, but he hits it out of the park anytime he does a Western and anytime he does uh, a sports movie of any kind, whether he's a player or a coach or anything. And it's just, it, it's kind of amazing to think about that. He's an actor who doesn't get enough credit for how good he is at knowing his audience. You know, I've never seen any of those movies. Okay, I, I can understand if you haven't seen Bull Durham and feel the dreams because i mean those are you know 80s movies um but like tin cup with renee russo we got to cover that i've never seen it kevin costner and renee russo i mean that's almost as good as kevin costner and jennifer garner you had to have seen mcfarlane i showed that to you right no oh okay watch it on disney plus tonight great sports movie it's kind of the return to form for like the disney uh sports true sports stories and everything i, I watched that one of the i think it was a disney movie it was about like somebody who plays chess uh, I'm. Are you talking about an older movie or newer one? Something Bobby Fisher. Searching for Bobby Fisher. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. You know that they they made um. I mean, chess just, chess isn't sports, but it, it is sport. Come on. Uh, but it they uh that was a true story about Bobby Fisher as a child prodigy. But they they made a movie about Bobby Fisher, another true story as an adult called Pawn Sacrifice that Tobey Maguire played him. So uh, maybe we'll do a Bobby Fisher month. I don't know, but anyways, yeah, I I, I just love Kevin Costner. He can always do a sports movie and deliver. He delivers the majority of the time he does westerns, and he doesn't get enough credit anymore. Back in the 90s, like, he was the guy. I mean, do you remember Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? I mean, you own that movie, don't you? I actually have it up on my shelf to watch. It's actually one of the next ones that I was going to watch. <laughs> it's it, it's a movie that I remember when it came out and was such a big deal. And I mean, everybody kind of saw that movie in the 90s and enjoyed it. But I wasn't really a Kevin Costner fan. I appreciated some of the movies he did, but I mean, to be... In the 90s, Kevin Costner was the guy that appealed to your mom. You know, he was he was the Sam Elliott for a, a younger mom generation. I, I always liked him. But but it wasn't until, I would say, the, the 2000s when I really started appreciating him. Because he made a movie called uh, 13 Days. Uh, and there's another thing you could say. Kevin Costner, like, genres that he's good for is political movies. Uh, I didn't even really realize that. But, I mean, he, he kind of made it big with JFK in the early 90s. Then he did 13 Days, which I think is one of the most underrated movies, not just political movies, one of the most underrated movies, period, ever made about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, and then he also had a movie called Swing Vote, which was more a comedy uh, that was a political movie. But uh, yeah, 13 Days really turned me around on him. And uh, I loved a lot of the other movies he made after that. Open Range is, is such an incredible movie. Uh, but basically, I've become somebody where Kevin Costner's in a movie, I'm going to see it. And uh, it'll be interesting looking over the box office for the movie that, like, eh, some movies didn't click as much. But uh, critically, we'll go through uh, the reviews and everything for this. So critically, this movie does okay. It gets 60% of Rotten Tomatoes. So it's it's a decent score. 
Uh, it's not a movie that anybody was really ever crazy, crazy about, but uh, it got some good reviews. Uh, Richard Roper, who's a very famous film critic, says, Sentimental, predictable, sometimes implausible, but thoroughly entertaining old-fashioned piece. Uh, the f- former Green Bay Packers vice president said it was lacking any true depiction of how any NFL team operates leading up to and during the draft, and less realistic about the business of sports than Jerry Maguire or Moneyball. Uh Again, like, it's a movie. I don't expect it to be, like... If you're getting a completely realistic movie about people working in office, it's probably going to be pretty boring. Yeah, it's uh, not like it's supposed to be a documentary. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's fun. This is an entertaining movie. Uh, user reviews... I'm going to read a one-star one here just because this one's so idiotic. Uh, a one-star review says, A football movie without football. I'm a huge NFL fan. The Redskins are my favorite team. I've been for 40-plus years. I was looking forward to a, in quotes, football movie. What I got was a stupid soap opera. I wanted some freaking football, more action, diagnosis of players, character development. Uh, it then, he then goes on to criticize the war room scenes. Um, and and uh, this is the best part right here. It makes no sense, especially since the Seahawks won the freaking Super Bowl this year. They have the last pick in the first round. This movie doesn't clearly say... It, they filmed this movie in 2013. So they were they supposed to go back and reshoot all their scenes just because the Seahawks won? They had to get permission from teams. And maybe this movie takes place in a universe where the Seahawks didn't win. They didn't say the Seahawks won the Super Bowl and they have the number one pick. They then uh, go, get even more critical. They saying, by the way, Costner just wouldn't wake up on draft day at 9 a.m. and mess around talking to people. He doesn't wake up at 9 a.m. The draft starts at, what, 7 o'clock, I think they say? And uh, we get the Seattle Seahawks guy, and it's like 5 in the morning being woken up in his office, which means Kevin Costner is one hour ahead of him, which means it is 6... He woke up at 4.30. 4.30 in Seattle time. So Kevin Costner, when we cut to him, it's not even 6 in the morning, and he's awakened in his business suit and going to the office. Like, And and also, it is a movie. Uh, This this guy's just taking it way too seriously. Uh, Box office, movie didn't do that well, and I remember when this came out, it was like a lot of publicity about the fact that it was it had all this NFL access and, and permission and it was done like you know a couple of weeks before the real draft but uh, the box office that it had was kind of surprisingly low it only made 28 million in North America uh, outside of North America it made nothing it made like less than a million dollars because that's kind of the worry about the movie when you make a movie about the NFL which really only has a North American market you have no overseas box office and that kind of happened uh, if you look at where it opened and everything else, um, uh, just on the board of how it finished, uh, the final box office and all that, uh, it opened, I think, fourth place at the box office. Other movies that opened that weekend included Rio 2 and Oculus, uh, but uh, Captain America Winter Soldier was in, I believe, its second week, third week. Uh, yeah, second week. So, I mean, it had heavy competition. Uh, overall box office... Also surprising because this thing, even though it opened fairly decently, it only ended up making like $28 million in the long run. So it finished number 97 year-end North American box office, uh, which put it just ahead of Oculus, a movie that opened stronger. So I guess that had stronger staying power. And uh, strange enough, just below Three Days to Kill, another Kevin Costner action movie, which is actually a pretty good movie. So, um, yeah, didn't make a lot of money, but I think it deserved it more. Uh, we both already said we're buying this movie. It's not even a question. Um, what do you want to do? Where do you want to rank this? 13 going on 30. I know where you're going to say for Timothy Green and Draft Day. How would you rank them? 13 going on 30 first. This is second. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Even though I think, 
I mean, 13 Going on 30, as I said, it's a movie that I would put on all the time. I'd put that on every single night. Draft Day is the same thing. I mean, it's a movie I immediately rewatched. Uh, so it's pretty close for me between 13 Going on 30 and Draft Day, but I'm going to completely agree with that. And I feel like we didn't talk about Jennifer Garner enough in this movie. It was mostly Kevin Costner, but we're going to talk about her more next week because what do we got next week? Last movie? Peppermint. <sighs> now, let's just say this. We, th- we reviewed this, I think, in our first year that the Oz Network existed. I think I reviewed this. I might have reviewed it with you. I might have reviewed it on my own, but uh, uh, I'm pretty sure I saw this movie on my own. So yeah, you probably didn't, but uh, this was Jennifer Garner's return to action movies. She'd been absent from action, as you can kind of tell from uh, the movies we're covering here, and she decided she wanted to get back to an action movie, uh, and I loved it. I mean, I thought it was a, a fun movie. Again, it's nothing groundbreaking, but it's very entertaining. She gets to have some really great hand-to-hand comics. It's very good if you're an alias fan just see you do action again although i think it's probably a little bit more along the lines of something like taken or john wick as far as like what the story is and all that but really entertaining movie underrated movie very inappropriately titled we'll talk about the title next week and how bad of a title it is it's an awful title but it's a good movie and it's an awful title because it makes no sense for the movie but yeah peppermint will be next week um but uh until then you can listen to all our other episodes breaking bad coverage continuing uh, Lost coverage, hopefully continuing, and 24 coverage. Uh, we're into a new season now, so it's uh, it's very exciting. We're almost into a new season. So, uh, Jamie, thank you for joining us, and thank you for not tooting too much. Um, I'm sure you'll be back next week, maybe just a little bit less gassy. Well, I live here. I know you'll be here next week. I was saying maybe we'll be back on the episode next week. I will see. You'll think about it. My name is Colin, and every year somebody comes out of this looking like a donkey. Don't let it be you. My name is Jamie, and spiders on the field, coach! It's a replacements quote, in case anybody didn't know. Thanks for downloading this episode from the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as find out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks once again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time.